Welcome to Roll Calling, a podcast about actors we love and the movies we love them in. I'm Ned Baker, and the world is changed. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. Much that once was is lost, for none now live who remember it. And I'm Caroline Sita, and if you want him, come and claim him. And we are very pleased to welcome you to our first ever Roll Calling Holiday Special Series. I wasn't sure if you were going to go Christmas Carol or... Howard Shore sure. Square there. but That is my Christmas carol. Ah. Just the, the theme song of the Shire. Well, that's really what we're building up to say here. So the way this podcast usually works is that Caroline and I take turns curating a five-film miniseries starring an actor we love. But I think it was I think it was you, Caroline, who first had the idea to do something a little different this holiday season, covering a series of films that have, at least in our minds, this persistent, if unexpected, association with this time of year. Peter Jackson's early thousands trilogy, dare I say, Masterwork. The Lord of the Rings. Uh, so, I, I won't bury the lead here. We like these films a lot. Is that is that correct, Caroline? It's correct for me. Okay, it's correct for me. And though there are loads of things to praise and lots of different ways to discuss the films, from the writing, to the score, to the costumes, to the miniatures, to just talking about New Zealand, uh, today we are going to be focused on exploring some of the highlights of the large and powerful acting ensemble in the trilogy's first installment, The Fellowship of the Ring. And to do that, we've invited back two dear friends of the podcast. Uh, first up, back from our high school musical episode, where we were so happy to have her blend of in-depth analysis and justice for Ryan Evans fan theory. <laughs> Writer, director, and actor Zoe Malpe. Welcome, Zoe. Hi, I am so happy to be here. Um, as I said right before we started recording, I have three favorite things in the world. This is one of them, and no one's ever put a mic in front of my mouth and let me talk about it, so I feel insane. <laughs> I'm okay. very nervous and We're very, hyped. very happy. Gosh, yes. what are the other two? Um, Sam Claflin and... <laughs> you'd think, you'd think. Um, uh, the Hunger Games actually is not in the top three. Um, I'll say it on mic. Um, very controversial of me to my fans. Um, <laughs> but no, it's... To the um, Zoe heads out there. To, the, to, to all the, the multi... A lot, of, a lot of mugs were just dropped from hands in shock. The multi stands are having a field day on Twitter. Uh, no, it's um, a series of unfortunate events and uh, his dark wow. materials. Yes. Sure. Wow. Okay. That's a good top three. Well, we'll put those in the ledger for the time being, but we're super excited to have you here to talk Lord of the Rings. Um, and also here to talk Lord of the Rings from way, way back on our Edge of Tomorrow episode, our first ever guest on the show. Is that right, Caroline? Yeah, I, I think, think so. And also uh, my beloved partner and the person for whom I recently bought the Lord of the Rings extended edition Blu-rays for her birthday, actor Emily Marso. Welcome, Emily. Remember me? Um, I haven't told Ned this, but much like Mary and Pippin, uh, being, uh, distracted throughout the entire trilogy, I really had the best intentions to prep for this and then didn't do shit. <laughs> so get psyched for my particular blend of chaos and, uh, danger, I guess the whole time. Second breakfast. Yeah, it's, it's second breakfast for me every goddamn day, baby. So <laughs> get psyched for that. Oh, can I just say before we start, when Ned yeah. was doing, I mean, we're we're starting, 
put this in or don't. This is my first initial bout of chaos. When Ned, when you were saying the Galadriel line, I was like, this doesn't mean anything to me unless someone in the background is going, in Elvish as it goes. Added in post. I almost came in and went, do an acapella remix of credit scrawl. It really is like vividly associated, and I can see the light moving over those like beautiful practical titles. Man, sense sense memory. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So clearly, we've got a bunch of big freaking nerds here to talk about the Lord of the Rings. Uh, something I'm really thrilled to do. So, I mean, the first thing I'd like to do is go around uh, to all the nerds in the room, which is all of us, and hear a bit about everyone's history with the Lord of the Rings franchise. Um. Zoe, do you want to start us off here? I would love to. Um, so yeah, I, um, this is going to be a long walk, but I promise it's worth it. Um, (laughs) uh, that's what we're here to do. We're going to Mordor. Yes. Um, the Eagles would not have made a difference if anyone tries to come at me with that paunch. Uh Um, I, so I had a lot of trouble reading when I was young. Um, I really couldn't read. I was like very widely mocked for it by my fellow children, Um, and it wasn't until I was in second grade that I had a teacher who was like, I think you can read. You're just really bored by like kids books. And I was like, no, I can't. It's impossible. And then she gave me the Chronicles of Narnia books and I read them in like a week. And she was like, yeah, you can read. Um, and so at the teacher, she was amazing. Her name was Tara Bonanno. Shout out. Um, shout out, Tara. Hope you're Banano. doing well. Um, but she then uh, gave me, when I was in third grade, the first book I, I got was the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And I had that movie cover with like the Nazgul against the sky. And I just fell head over heels in love um, in a way that I think somewhat sadly is maybe only possible when you're like, a kid mm-hmm. um i just was completely immersed in the world and so in love with these characters and i had the absolute joy of then getting to go to the cinema less than a year later and see fellowship of the ring and have it be even more rare of a joy everything i had wanted it to be um so those movies are hugely important to me and then i don't, I don't want to get too graphic on the podcast i had a really nasty facial injury and i was bedridden okay. for about a month and um, I was mostly sad that I was not going to get to see Two Towers in theaters. Um, oh. And so my brother ripped me an illegal copy. <gasps> wow. A pirate. I know. And but so for a good cause. It was for, a real Robin Hood situation. It was for a sad little girl. And so I watched that 100 times and also watched all 40 hours of extended uh, behind-the-scenes content on mm-hmm. the original Fellowship DVD. Um, and then when the third one came out, I made my brother take me at midnight, even though we were going like two weeks after it had come out. And I kept trying to like lead standing ovations, um, (laughs) night of my life. And I will say just to wrap up this long walk, I have not really reread the books a ton and I will be like very candid about that. I am a movie girl, (laughs) um, when it comes to Lauder and not as much a book girl. I, again, the books were where my love began, but they have just like not persisted in my life in the same way. Um, whereas the movies, I, I was about to say I haven't read the books as much because like what a time commitment. But then I was like, these movies have now taken years of my life. Like if I sat down (laughs) and actually did the math. Um, So yeah. You have the time. I I have the long walk to Mordor inside me. Um, So yeah, I I, I love them. I love these things. They are precious to me. (laughs) I see what you did there. Thank you. Thank you so much. Emily? 
This is the kind of shit that like prep really gives you. It's like coupons, (laughs) like overarching metaphors for for why you love it. Yeah, Yeah, what have you got? So I was 13. I thought I was the smartest person who ever lived. I saw big books. I said, I'll read a big book. (laughs) Got like 45 pages in. I was like, nobody is having sex in these. (laughs) Yeah. And I gave them up. This was your main uh, parameters for if books were good or not. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I was 13. I was unspeakably horny. And um, it was pretty sexless and mostly, like, descriptions of, like, nature scapes. Uh-huh. A lot of poems. So I set them aside. Tom Bombadil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't really getting what the barrel rights were, were putting, putting down. <laughs> so I <laughs> didn't read them. Um, but movies came out, which is a very visual me- medium. And my little pupils were like, Um and outside of the unspeakable horniness of being in middle school, I will also say I'm, like, the kind of person who gets, like, deeply obsessed with things that don't need to be delved as deep. And much you like Zoe. delve too greedily into I was just going to say. <laughs> I'm, I'm, like, frequently delving too greedily into deep and awakening ancient horrors. And the ancient horror inside of me was the DVD commentary box set, mm. which I have watched every single commentary combo of. <laughs> the fellowship i've like wow. like the editors you know like i'm doing the deep cuts um and that was really the like sort of gateway drug that got me into it, it just being able to hear people uh, truly like sincerely talk the sincere part of me is saying uh being able to listen to experts in the field talk about what i think to be one of the greatest movies ever put to film um was like deeply formative i remember lying in my bed as a tiny baby actor being like if peter jackson cast me in anything it would be the greatest day of my life like i remember like wanting so deeply to be in the lord of the rings Mm -hmm. being like how can i get cast in this yes i'm 13 how can i get cast in like how is this how can i make this happen for myself it was like truly one of the like fundamental motivating forces in my life which is fucking lame what a nerd um but it is true and maybe there's still time can we get you on the rings of power show peter baby call me i hear amazon's doing a whole extended universe exactly. how can i make this happen involved. good probably not get but... jeff bezos on the phone yeah jeffrey yeah, bezos mm-hmm. um caroline uh what's your walk to mordor yeah well i <laughs> so feel like there's a kind of theme emerging here which is the um intersection of a middle school girl obsession and mm-hmm. these movies coming out, which is mm. entirely my story as well. Like this, these movies were sixth, seventh, and eighth grade for me. Like that, these were the defining, <laughs> the define. Like before, I really had hobbies. My own, my hobby was I had one like creative writing class I did once a week, and then just like seeing these movies. Those were my two main hobbies. Um, yeah. My, I was always like a point of pride that I tried to see each of them six times in the movie theater. That was like, if I really six. liked a movie, this was the same with the Pirates of the Caribbean first movie and the Phantom mm. of the Opera movie, maybe the Rent movie. This was a real mm. era of like Caroline. I feel you in my soul. Yeah, yeah, we were <laughs> united on on this front, and so. I was, I would say I was not, like, I had a friend who spoke Elvish, right? So I was not quite at that level of speaking Elvish, but I was friends with the person that spoke Elvish. That was my level. You were conversational. You weren't fluent. But, like, you could could ask for where the library was. It's on your resume. 
My door all through middle school and potentially into some of high school was just magazine cutouts of all of the cast from various photo shoots that I just taped up into a collage that made up the front Mm. of my bedroom door. And I just was obsessed with these movies. And for, I think I, I probably just saw the first one, you know, at a normal time. But then after that, for the next two, my parents would pull me out early from Spanish class, my last class of the day, and we would go to like, you know, whatever, a 1 p.m. screening on the opening day of the movies and had the DVDs and watched all the behind the scenes stuff. And yeah, would just consider them hugely formative to... So it's kind of the same era as like Harry Potter. So I would say like formative for my idea of like fandom and movie making and yeah, probably the craft of movie making as well. So deeply, deeply near and dear to my heart in every way. What about you, Ned? Oh, a lot of, a lot of things that y'all have discussed before. Um, like, uh, so I, I saw it, my first interaction, I didn't know anything about it except for maybe watching the animated Hobbit once or twice on TV. I tried to watch um, that and it was too scary and I had to turn it off when I was really little. That was my memory of that. Yeah. Uh, I I went into fellowship pretty cold on, um, on prep material. They just on the like last day of school before winter break of sixth grade, they took the whole sixth grade out to <gasps> see a showing of fellowship. Oh, that's fun. Um, Lucky. Private yeah. school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. Um, but it was really fun. It was all new. At the very ending, I was like, what? This is the ending? <laughs> like they're just like still going? But uh but yeah, I was I was very into it. I think I was really hobbit focused at that age. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, like Zoe, I had that, um, thick three book compendium with the Nazgul on the front. Like Emily, I didn't get that far into it. I got about a hundred pages. I got past Tom Bombadil. Um, but like, I, I, I just tuned out. It was too, I was trying too early. I was like, you know, I was 11 and, uh, and, um, yeah, I was like, nah, and uh, but but I really dug the movies, and like Caroline, I had um, this photo from the Premiere magazine, which was an amazing magazine that I was obsessed with. They had this feature on the Hobbits, and the photo spread. They had like the Hobbits doing Reservoir Dogs, mm. and like oh the God. Hobbits oh, right doing... up so, your alley. Yeah, I, I had this um, this like great photo of the four Hobbits doing uh, Abbey Road. Like at Abbey Cute. Road, like nice. crossing the streets, and and uh, yeah, that was really beloved to me. And yeah, I was I was just super into. I don't know. I must have had some behind the scenes featurettes that I watched as well. I just remember like getting into like Weta Digital mm-hmm. and uh, all the like miniature models and reading about the behind the scenes. And um, I also just want to shout out these two video games that there was a Two Towers and a Return of the King co-op video games meaning like i could play with my brother at the same time so you just pick like a member of the fellowship and just like hack and slash your way through you know fangorn forest and kirithon goal and who Pelennor did you Fields and play as shit. um i usually i think that i did legolas and todd did gimli sure oh that's <laughs> cute yeah <laughs> for um, those who don't know ned's 
uh, height or his brother's height. This is like an incredibly cute reversal. <laughs> Todd is like six feet tall. I'm a little bit more Gimli sized and Todd is a little bit more like less sized. Todd also just notably like he saw Lord of the Rings and that was when he started growing his hair because he wanted like Aragorn cool. Boromir hair. Mm. Um, yeah. So uh, he, he would, his his presence is uh, is felt in spirit on this this podcast. But <laughs> yeah, those um, those video games were super awesome. Uh, and just like a way that the world like stayed with me through high school and uh, you could unlock these little featurettes like if you can look up this featurette called hobbits on gaming it's like basically like the hobbits all sort of like taking the piss out of each other for being bad at video games um <laughs> also the like really influential video where uh dom monahan pranks elijah wood will you wear wigs uh maybe when will you wear wigs which is like making the rounds now. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's back on yeah. TikTok. Yeah, look this thing up. It is so freaking funny, and I was obsessed with it at the time. Um, so yeah, uh, I was, I was a fan. I don't think I was quite a super fan in the way some of y'all were then. It's kind of grown and grown for me, and I just like them more every time I see them. Like honestly, like in my like late high school, and then my twenties, and now my thirties, like. It just continues to build. And um, we would also, uh, Emily would organize these trips to Ravinia to see the Lord of the Rings performed live with the CSO where they mm-hmm. do the like unbelievable score. Oh and like, I went on yeah. one of those trips. I went on one of those with you too. And Two it was- Towers, I think I saw. I can't believe I didn't mention this, that it's like my Super Bowl, that the Ravinia plays it with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra and three choirs. And I would like like Ned's middle school, fucking organized field trips. I was routinely calling the box office to be like, I need to purchase a thousand dollars worth of yeah. tickets. Like, please don't flag my credit card. I have twenty five people coming over like three consecutive nights. Oh my god. I at will Ravinia, bring them back. I will please. not yeah. name names, but I was dating a guy at the time who I do think everyone on this podcast knows. Uh in fact I know everyone knows who this person is and they were I would say 45 minutes late to Return of the King. And of the I end. considered breaking up with them the entire train <laughs> ride home. I wouldn't speak to them. It really makes you think. I sat on the other side of the compartment with my arms folded, being like, you are not a valid person. Wow, incredible. <laughs> I've got yeah. this, I, I remember, I think of this comic where it's like, Prometheus, as your punishment by the gods, you will be chained to the rock to watch your favorite movie with an eagle who's just not that interested in it. Look, he's looking at his phone. <laughs> That is, it really is. That is my hell. I will say the moment at Ravinia where Theoden King yelled fourth Aerolingas and all the wasted bros in front of us raised their glasses <gasps> to the air and screamed. Wow. I left my body. Yeah. It, was, it was a beautiful moment. Yeah. I'll remember it forever. Yeah. Um, it's fi- So I, I rewatched Fellowship um, a few days ago. I've actually watched it three times this year. Um, uh, theatrical, then extended, then theatrical. And I was with my cousin and he was sort of having like a life episode unfold. So he was on his phone through a lot of it. And I just, I was like, you know what? It's fine. It's not a judgment. It's not personal. You know, it's like, it's fine. He's taking care of things. He's getting the vibe. Um, But it is a little, it is a little, (laughs) it's tough. It's tough to deal with that. Um, But uh, Ned, I was just going to say, I really strongly recommend that you post his wife's notes on the fellowship to the Twitter. hmm. They are so charming if you can get, Um, Because she had never seen it before. Mm. And her notes about what a hobbit 
is and their relationship to the different races, I was so charmed. I was like, what must it be like to be like, Gandalf, that is a wizard. A wizard is sort of a mentor to the hobbits who are just chill little guys. It says Frodo equals hobbit. Ring equals corrupting power. And there's an arrow that says Sauron creator. Hobbits equals chill little guys. Simple life. Good. (laughs) Orcs and goblins both have sinister violent. Uh, Yeah. Humans, there's no note. I was just like, yeah, 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 yeah. She's she's got it. It was a fun. It was very strange. I think like we are all so deeply immersed Mm -hmm. in this, um, in this culture work that it is really strange to go back to to watching it through the eyes of someone who has never, who doesn't know anything about it, to just be like, okay, hang on. So what are what are those two other like little hobbits like names? I will hand Um, this back to you, Ned, because I keep interrupting you. But very briefly, I have a beloved friend who had never seen these movies, and as a party game, we used to just try. So I should also say, my best friend in the whole world. one of the big reasons these movies are so important to me as well is when we met, we loved them and then we loved them together, you know, mm-hmm. and always have. And it's very much part of our our friendship and our relationship. Um, and so at Party Tricks, we'd go up to our other friend and be like, just name the members of the fellowship. Just try. And she, I, sh- I shit you not, went Gandalf, Zandalf, <laughs> Jebediah, and Deirdre, who's the one woman. And I was like... <laughs> What, what is your world? Where do you live? Um, but we made them over like the first chunk of the pandemic when everyone was doing a lot of virtual movie nights we did with my big group of friends, most of whom had never seen them. It was a very similar struggle in that we had the chat open and I was like, this is when you don't type in the chat because you're watching seriously. <laughs> like someone would make a joke and I would side text my friend being like, should I say something? And she was like, no, <laughs> they're enjoying it. Like, anyway. That's funny because part of rewatching this for me was actually remembering all of the weird, dumb, like middle school jokes we would make while watching these movies. Sure. Like again, if your main activity is seeing a movie in the theater six times, like you just come up with weird inside jokes and- they were coming back to me, just like, you know, oh, this is when we laugh at this moment. Oh, yeah. This is the amount of times line. my best friend and I go, nothing dampens your spirit, Sam. Like, it's <laughs> – anyway, I'm so sorry, Ned. I keep interrupting you. Uh, I will try to keep this under three hours. I really will. <laughs> I know. I'm watching the time click up. Like, oh, fuck us, I I'm guess. not optimistic for a sub-three podcast, but I will try. But, yeah, basically, it's fun to watch it with, uh, with a new person because I was like – you start to like you start to be like so Gandalf is actually so the wizards so they're not humans they're actually there are these things called the Maiar and they are these like sent to <laughs> but then you're like you know what actually that doesn't matter because at the end of it I told them I was like I think you should actually rather than try to like rewatch this he's like I'll just try to rewatch it I'll try to get it next time I was like I think you should actually just push on because here's what you know good guys good bad guys bad mm-hmm. ring has to go in Mount Doom and I think beyond that like you know just uh you're good to go you know so yeah, I do think it, it works on that level, but it does reward the deeper, the deeper, like, you know, uh, familiarity with all the, like, I don't know, nuances of it. Fellowship is such an interesting movie because I think traditionally when you have a trilogy or a series of movies like Star Wars or Harry Potter or Hunger Games, it really does feel like usually the first movie feels complete in some way. Totally. And then the next movies are additions you to it. You blow up the Death Star. You right. Know, and then that's done. And that could have just been one movie, but it happened to be really successful. So then we went on. And even when you're, you've are you got something like Twilight or Hunger Games, it's pulling from a book where that was sort of the way in which it was made. Mm-hmm. But 
A, you have a book series where Tolkien wrote them all. I didn't realize this till I was researching last night, but he kind of always intended the three to be just one story. And he had envisioned it just like published all as one big book. And they really only split it up because... I don't know, it was more economical somehow like, to have Dude, you crazy. Printings. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, uh, book readers who listen, but the second book ends with like Frodo in the tower having been pierced by Shelob and Sam in despair. That's like the end of two towers in the book. Zoe, I love that you think that a book listener is still listening after each of the four of us were like, fucking, I don't know about the books it's, though. Mom Bobadil, question mark? I was really, to be clear, I should I was really passionate about them at the time. I just uh Digging my own grave here. I just haven't well, really gone back. Zoe, you are to... an expert compared to, I don't know, the, yeah. the you're above the median well, well, uh, then book it... familiarity here on this podcast. In my expert opinion, that is how I remember it. Because when I went to the movie, <laughs> when I went to see Two Towers in the movie, I was like, where is Shelob? Um, yeah. Yeah. I also, I didn't say this in the beginning. I also read the books, but more as a, I saw the movies first and then was like, I'm going to read the books. And I remember feeling so adamant that I wanted to finish the book book series before the last movie which meant just like a week of me like cramming return of the king like every free moment i had i was like speed reading that book which is very frustrating when there are passages that are just like i'm durin son of morin son of durin son of durin and i'm like okay tolkien get to the freaking point here um i remember the time i do think the timing of two towers is the most different from how the movie does it Mm -hmm. um Anyway, Tolkien conceived them all as one big story. And then the like crazy thing about how these movies were made is that they were all filmed at once. Like which I watched would, them. Which would like basically never happen. No, yes. it's inc- it's crazy and, that it happened. And then. for like no money, I yeah, should say. Just, like for like an indie budget on the grandest possible scale. Like That's nuts. Absolutely wild. They had very little money. That's why they made Weta. Like they they no one would do the effects for them. So they were like, let's do our best. Absolutely wild. I watched some interview where Ian McKellen said his very first day of filming was actually the very first Gandalf scene where he comes into the Shire and meets Frodo. Mm-hmm. And then two days later, he filmed the final scene in Return of the King where they're sending them off on the in the boat. You're yeah. kidding. And like those were his friends. He was in, in the interview was like, I had to say goodbye to the hobbits before I even knew the hobbits. <laughs> I mean, wasn't also like That's one of insane. Elijah Wood and Sean Astin's very first scenes together was when they're was on the Matt stairs. Doom, right? It was I was yeah. when they're on the stairs uh going up from uh right. oh my god. You know, tower, green, green, green fire tower with the Nazgul. Wow, embarrassing. She doesn't know where the Nazgul live. <laughs> Kick me off. What's it It, called? I don't remember it either. I think you're right. It's Kirith Ungol. Yeah. I thought Kirith Ungol is where the, like, where. (laughs) Cut all of that. We have to be considered experts. Please. Keep it in. No, I'm keeping it in. I'm keeping it in. Well, they're going up the the stairs. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And um, they filmed that scene with, like, the Lembas bread and the betrayal, like, Mm-hmm. like second or third week of filming and then Absolutely. did not go back to that set for another like three years that is so crazy and Absolutely i think wild. i think frankly like we are not going to be able on this podcast because yeah. of our focus on the acting and the fact that i refuse to edit an episode that is four hours long uh <laughs> we are not going to be able to cover like all of the amazing things about the behind the scenes of this movie but to those of you who have any curiosity like let us just unanimously exhort you to go watch the featurette to understand what this project like represented and how much like crazy creativity went into it it's just it's just un 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 unbelievable can we all share our favorite 
fun fact from the DVD commentary <laughs> set, and then uh, like mutually okay, agree just we're like, like get done it out. with it. Yeah, we're yeah, closing yeah. the loop. That's a great but, call. like everybody shares. Okay, well you've got one. Good, give it a go. I love that they made every single piece of chain mail, like two people made it, and they lost their fingerprints from it. Everybody knows that fact, but I just love it. I didn't know that. Bending. Oh my gosh, they were bending individual chain links, and they did so many of them that the people, the artisans, literally wore off their fingerprints. Okay. I think this is correct that they built the Shire set a full year before production was going to start so that it could be like a lived in grassy space and i think that's so charming um mine is actually from a book that i will plug called anything you can imagine like the making of the lord of the rings i forget the subtitle but it's called anything you can imagine and it's that there was a horrible snowstorm when they were all coming home from set one day and orlando bloom and sean bean were separated from everyone else and had to find shelter so some random sweet older New Zealand woman opened her door and young, hot Sean Peen and Orlando Bloom were like, can we like crash here until the storm passes? And um, she let them in. She made them dinner. She like kept them safe. I don't know. Maybe they had a three-way. Um, I read this fan fiction. Yeah. 100% read this. And um, then when the roads were clear, they came back and rescued them. I'm drawing a blank, y'all. I can't, I can't think of anything. Well, let me, maybe I'll plug. I actually retweeted this on our um twitter feed but the cast did a reunion during lockdown Mm. randomly hosted by josh gad when he was sort of doing these but it's like basically the entire main cast it's an hour long it's one of the most delightful things you've ever seen and if you want to hear things like the orlando and sean story recounted by the men themselves they they get into it in that reunion video so we can i'll link that in the show notes as an as another treasure trove of uh can Stories. I take a tiny fun fact and then I will sure. shut up? Yeah, you can have my facts. Thanks, Ned. Peter Jackson used to, um, he had a little tricycle with a skull on it that he would use to move between all the sound stages. That's Cute. adorable. Yeah. That's a very good Ned fact, too. Ned, adopt that fact. Yeah, Ned would like that. All right. Uh, let's just pretend that I just said that. Uh, cool. <laughs> Great fact, Ned. So, so thank you. good, Ned. Oh, thank you, guys. Thank you. Can I uh, circle back? I was considering everything we've said in the past five minutes, the M dash. Uh, aside to finishing my point about (laughs) fellowship feeling like unique in that it doesn't feel like a complete story and then they went on and made a trilogy it feels like the first part of a three-part story and i do think that makes rewatching it interesting because it's really just like an intro it's your intro to the world and exactly as you were saying ned like if what your cousins got from it was an intro to the world like that's really all it needs to be and then the important sort of plot points in as much as they matter kind of unspool from there totally totally so that was my most recent rewatch um what's the last time each of y'all rewatched well um i've seen it three times this year as well okay nice the uh, <laughs> first time on my own pretending he's beside me uh <laughs> sorry uh the second time was uh i got very lucky in that my friend victoria uh victoria cano who i think some people here know as well uh worked at the royal albert hall um before she moved back to new york and as one of her final acts let me just interrupt because it is a runner in our podcast because we've had at least like three mm-hmm. maybe of the history boys on so mm-hmm. uh victoria was also in the our cast history of- girl yes she was the history girl. she was in the cast of history boys <laughs> that caroline directed in college please continue i shall but she was as uh, so she's wearing the royal albert hall and got us box seats to the fellowship screening on the big screen with the orchestra um <sighs> 
And so fucking sick. Andy Circus came out before the film. <gasps> what? Wow. You've never seen a room of nerds in so much heat. Oh my god. Like gasping and screaming. And when he did the Gollum voice, I thought people were gonna like tear their clothes off. Like rend <laughs> their clothing. As um, they should. Throwing they bras onto the stage. I, I almost did. Um and again, just like a huge, massive, beautiful screen, the live orchestra. We split a two big bottle of rose and by the end, I looked over and Victoria's sobbing. I'm sobbing. <laughs> it was magical. And as if that weren't magical enough, um, about two months later, I got a ticket to see all three extended editions in one day at the Prince Charles Cinema, Whoa. which, in my humble opinion, is the best art house cinema in London. And I'd actually never done that before. Um, I had never been able to do the full all-in-one-day situation because I think it's just not the same at home. Mm-hmm. Um, or not, not the same, but it's much harder to get that like immersed feeling. Um, I will also share my brief hot take that I prefer the theatricals to the extended editions. We can, okay. we can break that down later if we want. Um, mm-hmm. so I would have preferred an all day theatrical, but I got all day extended and it was a room of feral Aragorn girls, which <laughs> includes myself <laughs> screaming. If he left the screen for five minutes and then came back and just said like, Hey, we were like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like insane and then like Legolas got occasional polite applause like sure. it was, um, and obviously uh, the highlight of that was during Return of the King when Sam was like should I ask out Rosie a guy in the front went hey go on Sam uh, <laughs> so, it was just magical and I also had just uh, I had just locked it down with my boo like two days before so I was like massively strung out feeling like high and insane and just like cackled my way through it Oh, it was wow. fantastic. The Rosie to your Sam, the Arwen to your Aragorn. <laughs> yeah. Go on, Sam. Go on, Sam. I mean, the Arwen to my Aragorn, no. Uh, I'm an Eowyn <laughs> Aragorn shipper. I want that on the record. Wow, that does not... This somehow feels like an extension of our Gabriella versus yeah. Sharpay, like high school yeah, musical fuck discussion. <laughs> No, Arwen is my type, so I would ship me with Arwen, but I, sure. Arwen, but I would not ship Aragorn with her. And Peter Jackson agrees with me at the end. Wow, I disagree strongly oh, with spicy both great. of you. Well, That's we can get into it. <laughs> we'll come back to Arwen. Shortly. That is that is the last time I saw Lord of the Rings. I was gonna watch it today, but um, as I mentioned, my poor sweet boyfriend has a a terrible terrible flu, so I was being an amazing woman and a caretaker instead of watching a movie. A hero. Sorry you couldn't make it four this year, but you know, December is still young. Yeah, there's, there's still, still time. time. Oh, it's going to fucking happen. You could go like, four, six, ten, you know, before the end of the year. I am 100% committed to it. Cool. My boyfriend has also never seen a single Lord of the Rings film, so it's Ooh. I have a, a built-in it's excuse. Time. It's Just time. make him turn off his phone. It's my advice. Yeah. Oh, he knows. He knows that if he so much as glances at his phone, the relationship is over. <laughs> like, he, it's going to be, they're going to be in the other room. The door will be locked. Say, like, Let me you... tell you about a guy who once came to Ravinia 45 minutes late. <laughs> Don't be that guy. Do you see him around here? Yeah. Uh, I'll have a bucket for him to pee in. We'll, we'll make it through. <laughs> anyway, yeah. someone take the mic away from me, please. Emily, with your was your lack of prep mean you didn't? When, when when was your last uh, rewatch? Listen up. I did watch The Lord of the Rings again recently for, I think celebrating my birthday was sort of the the small excuse. We did watch all of the extended versions because they are superior to the theatrical Ooh, cuts. We can get into it. Um, <laughs> and um, it was great. So probably about three weeks ago, which is just enough time to leave me with 
uh, vague impressions, half-baked thoughts, uh, hills to die on for no reason. <laughs> um, so I'm prepared. I had not rewatched in like probably years, honestly, which is crazy <gasps> given how like formative they were for me for so long. At least I had not done a full rewatch. Like, I'm sure I had done, oh, I caught some of them on TV or something, watched part of them. But it was like that feeling of when you're listening to a song that you haven't heard in a long time, but all of a sudden you're like, oh, I remember every word to this song. But mm-hmm. almost like as they're, as it's happening, like you couldn't even have recited the words until yeah. whatever. That was yeah. how it felt. I was like, oh, I know every beat. Like I could recite every line of My this My friend movie. calls that soft brain where you learn something mm-hmm. when your brain is still like soft and developing. Mm. Yeah, well, my soft brain was on fire with this <laughs> rewatch. I was like, yes, it's all coming back. I also, um, like for me, Lord of the Rings is so tied into the nostalgia of that time in my life that I also prefer the theatrical cuts because those are like the ones I saw six times in the movie theater. Like those were the those were the beats that my soft brain um, <laughs> absorbed. Mm. And when other beats come in, I'm like, no, 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 this feels wrong. Like this is not, this is some weird extended cut of a song that I don't want to experience. So I sat down and watched the theatrical last night. And then like this morning I was like, well, I guess I'll just rewatch a big chunk of it again. So it was just kind of fast forwarding through the various points of it and had a amazing time and i'm excited i haven't rewatched them i'm saving the rewatches for each of our podcast episodes so i'm mm. excited to delve into the rest of the series soon same i'm gonna do the same strategy i don't want to accidentally talk about two towers AMR. beats today yeah I, yeah exactly i don't yeah i don't want to come charging <laughs> in with save, my AMR takes. Save that AMR takes. Warmongering? Sorry. I, think, <laughs> I think the thing is that you know they do sort of like because of the contiguity of the story, they do sort of like blend together. I'm like, when For sure. When did particularly, and I also can't exactly remember what's extended and what's not. I'm like, when did Mary and Pippin like drink that fancy water and almost get eaten by trees? And was it, you know, in the first one or the second one? And is it extended? I know it is extended because that's that's yes, not an essential story beat. But Extended two towers. <laughs> Yeah, 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 but uh, but those little things are, are are tricky for me. But so for the 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 real meat of the episode, now that we've done our just brief, brief <laughs> contextual introduction, damn it. Um, I kind of want to go character by character through the entire fellowship, as well as a few of the extra friends we meet along the way, and talk a bit about those characters and the work that the actors bring to the film. So I've I'm kind of grouping it. Let's start fellowship, and I'm kind of grouping it in in introduction order, loosely. So I want to start by talking about hobbits. So let's talk hobbits. Let's talk concerning hobbits, which is a great little extra scene with additional narration by Bilbo, although you wouldn't know it if you watched the theatrical. <laughs> yeah, it ruins the rhythm of the intro, so it was the right decision. <laughs> sure does not. It sure does not. But, sure does. Um, oh my God. Uh, okay, hobbits. Frodo. He's a, he's the hobbit. He's hobbit number one, numero uno. What do we think about Frodo? We've got Elijah Wood. You know what? I actually think there's maybe a case that this is... Maybe my opinion will change as I rewatch the rest, but I almost wonder if this is Elijah's best film. Like I, I think I, I really came to appreciate on this rewatch the whole like tw- 20 to 30 minute like Shire opening, mm-hmm. which I think is is in some ways maybe longer than your instinct would be if you were sort of like, we just need to get into the adventure part of the story. But actually spending so much time in the like picturesque, perfection of that world just makes you it's like the stakes become so much higher when that world is threatened and when you're feeling everyone pulled away from that world and i think elijah wood does this lovely work of just like everyday frodo and his sweet friendship with gandalf and his sweet friendship with bilbo and just like what 
like maybe there's a little bit of him that kind of thinks about adventure, but he's not like necessarily yearning for it. It feels more like it's thrust upon him. And I think yeah. all of that work at the beginning to sort of build that character is like then what the rest of the performance throughout the trilogy kind of like it it needs that to ground it and to to give it those stakes. Particularly when he goes into the sort of like high key like evil possession stages in the later yeah. films. Like you gotta remember that like this is a guy who is still in love with the Shire. Yeah. He just likes to sit and read his little book. Yeah. yeah. I I agree this is his best film, Caroline. I my favorite moment in the whole trilogy, perhaps, is the moment at the end on the beach where he remembers Gandalf's, yeah. you know, all we have to do with the with the time that is given to us. And I think Elijah Wood really sells both in that and the Council of Elrond scene that exactly what you described that energy of like just a good person who's just a regular good person trying to do this impossible task um and i think it's a really it's really hard to play just like a good guy um i think that's something you guys said on your batman begins podcast oh you were talking about linus roach is that his name who plays thomas wayne and i remembered it yeah i remembered it very specifically because i've always loved that performance because it it is so hard to play decency Mm -hmm. um and elijah really really nails that in this yeah he's he's an earnest sad little good boy is what i wrote down here (laughs) and he projects a sense of he does feel different than the other three hobbits in Mm -hmm. a way like there is a sense i think there is He's obviously not as like intelligent or as worldly as a Gandalf or an Arag- or an Aragorn or a Boromir, but like he he understands things certainly more than Sam <laughs> and certainly more than Merry and Pippin. And even there's a scene in the Prancing Pony where there it's the scene where the Nazgul's stab, but it's the fake hobbits, and then we mm-hmm. cut to them all in Aragorn's room in his little bed, which is yeah. so cute. But the way Jackson frames it, it's like Sam and Merry and Pippin all sit up and they're wearing these white with suspenders and they've all been asleep and then um frodo sits down and he's more in like his darker coat and it's this like really striking image of like here's the three hobbits who's who are mentally very living that like simple shire life and then here's frodo who has already been marked as like different and and like has a different burden to bear than the rest of them and also has a certain like he's not asleep he's like aware and awake and like nervous about what's going on and that's like that kind of burden that you if you're feeling you know you have a different responsibility than everyone around you i think that that's like all both in the performance and in the filmmaking really well executed yeah he's the one who understands when you have to get off the road yeah exactly (laughs) just gonna say that you know what you know what the difference is? The thing that marks Frodo from the other hobbits? That dude suffers from depression. <laughs> like yeah. 100%. Oh, Frodo's Frodo is melancholy. Yeah. And he's been melancholy from the start. Yeah. Like he, that little bitch is an empath. <laughs> when he's sitting under that tree with his book and he sees Gandalf show up and he's there's like kind of this like moment of like, Something doesn't feel quite right with my uncle. Yeah. What are you doing? Like, what's going on? But then he's like, it's wonderful to see you. Like, he's got a lot of joy. Yeah. But underneath that joy, it's just sadness for Frodo. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. he's been sad the whole time. And it's kind of nice. You basically have his emotional support optimist, yeah. Sam, mm-hmm. like, built in. Because this is a dude who, like, he loves the Shire. But I don't know if that if he's ever, like, truly happy. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like he's got he's got joy, but he's got like 
He's got an underpinning of like restlessness in him mm-hmm. that I think the other three hobbits don't have. That's as a much. very good observation. And there's like the joy is like a masking more like the mm-hmm. joy for Marion Pippin and Sam is so authentic mm-hmm. and the optimism. And for Frodo, whenever he's reaching that state, it is a little bit of like putting it on maybe or even like you see him feel it and then it like pulls back Mm -hmm. from him like it recedes into himself and then it comes back my favorite like frodo sequence is definitely yeah the the beach at the end that just generally that whole period where i guess really from like the seed is planted when he talks to galadriel and she sort of says like everyone else is going to be corrupted by the ring and she says like he will try to take it you know of whom i speak but but i think it generally is like he gets this impression like the ring is going to corrupt everyone and i said i was going to carry it so this whole fellowship thing is not going to work so it's around from the time that boromir like kind of attacks him for it he realizes he has to like separate from everyone one by one and he has that lovely scene with aragorn where aragorn like closes his hand and we see that Aragorn is like you know really I would have followed you world. to the end oh, we're oh, yeah, gonna, yeah, yeah, we yeah, needed yeah. a whole yes. hour just to talk <laughs> about, about that but, scene. but that whole like chapter of the movie for Frodo where it kind of is it does like I hadn't thought of him as like being sort of like genuinely melancholy throughout but it does feel like it's kind of a sad confirmation of his worst fears that he's like I actually can't do this yeah. and he just goes through this it's so resonant. I didn't like really follow this maybe the first like few years I was watching this movie, but this thing where he's like, I'm so horrified at the prospect of the ring like corrupting everybody like one at a time that like he just has to one by one go and like leave them, like leaving all his good companions and being like, I am, I can't bear like watching this happen to people. So I'm going to go do it by myself, which of course, like the like great you know, heart swelling goodness of the movie comes through when he's like, mm-hmm. I'm even going to leave behind Sam. I can't let Sam come with me. And Sam's like, I am not going to, I'm not going to let that happen. Of course, of course you are. And I'm coming yeah. with you. Uh, because he's like, he just, he like, and he, he lets Sam come with him, which is so good. Cause he sort of realizes like he can't do it without him, which of course in the fullness of the trilogy yeah. ends up like completely being true. Yeah. And on a weird little meta level, with Elijah Wood's casting, you do get that freaky child star wisdom, like mm-hmm. that slight precociousness mm-hmm. um, yeah. that reads as very different from particularly Billy Boyd and Dominic Monaghan. And of course, the person who can match that energy is the person who has kind of been through those travails and come out the other side, which is Sean Astin. And so there is this kind of like mm-hmm. metatextual layer to the casting that also makes Frodo feel slightly separate, slightly wiser, slightly more learned. Yeah. So let's talk about Sean Astin. Let's talk about Sam in this movie. Oh, hell yeah. I, that's all I, 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 you said keep it short. And I think maybe all I have to say is hell yeah. I mean, uh, we did yeah, it. I could, I could say a little bit more, which is just, I, I don't, I, I don't want to blow up the, what is so beautiful about this performance is that it is a slow burn. And so he's excellent in this film, but he's also playing his cards. Mm-hmm. He's holding his cards in readiness for when they'll deploy in mm-hmm. particularly Return of the King. Yeah. Um, but it's the word that comes to mind is lovely. It's a lovely performance. It's so generous. And I will say I cry every time he says, uh, if I take one more step, this is the farthest away from home that I'll ever yeah. be. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, he's just so, I mean, he's so great because like in that same way that, you know, we just sort of clarified the, the Frodo journey is being like, he's never like fully at home, like in, in a, his heart being still, even though like he loves the Shire, but you're like, Sam actually, he doesn't have that conflict in the Shire. Like this is a dude 
who just wants to like get home. He wants to take care of Frodo and go home. And take care of Frodo is priority number one, so he will go away from home. But I love that bit when they get to Elrond and it's like, no, so they get to Rivendell, yeah. and it's like Sam has I always he wanted, wanted to see the elves. Yeah, he's like, yep, and I saw them, and it's cool, but really, like, can we just? Can we just get the fuck out of here? Because yeah. the Shire is the place where I want to be. That's where I fit. That is what makes sense. And I will stay with you as long as it takes. But cards on the table. I would like to go home now, please. Dude, yeah. Sam is a Midwestern dad. Yeah, totally. Took his photo. <laughs> yeah, took is. his photo. His family's having a great time at Disneyland. But <laughs> Jesus Christ, got to get back to that lazy boy. It was great over there. And it's such a nice touch that he... He's like so he's like I will literally drown trying to get to Frodo but also I am too scared to talk yeah. to Rosie the local girl that like clearly also has a crush on me like his level of I don't know his loyalty but then also his like he's just an everyday guy right mm-hmm. like that's his sort and Frodo is that too but Sam is that to an even more intense degree I think the like real simple everyman midwestern dad yeah a moment that always gets an audible reaction that i kind of forget about is when uh aragorn uh takes frodo up to the room in the prancing pony and then sam comes in fists up and goes i'll have you long shanks and it's like immediately (laughs) brave uh the audience always has a good like oh at that and it is notable again as you say his instinct is to lean on courage and friendship and boldness and we don't always associate those things with like a parochial stay-at-home dad <laughs> and yet they are his mm-hmm. defining traits it's it's an amazing character yeah. and an amazing performance in the other podcast i'll one day start where i only discuss fictional characters through the prism of the enneagram <laughs> my favorite <laughs> personality uh look, sorting Caroline. device uh sam is a real two like the epitome of this helper uh other focused personable kind of guy what is frodo we're gonna. I'm gonna make That's you tough. do this for every single fellowship yeah. member. So okay, saved. I'll be prepared. Main characters can be hard because, uh, yeah, they can just. Uh, sometimes they feel more. They can feel more every man. I'll think about yeah, it. I'll yeah. dive in and say Sam is a Taurus. That's. I don't know the Enneagram, but mm, totally. I do know some some straws. It's the same. Same energy. I do just want to say about Sam and specifically Sam Aston's performance, which I think we've already touched on a little bit. Just talking about sort of the quiet decency and the like courage without. Um, hope for outside acknowledgement mm. like the fact that Sh- Sean Astin did not get an Oscar nomination for this speaks to the fundamental brokenness of the Academy Awards and not mm. to the problem with this performance oh yeah because yeah it's it's exceptional acting it is truly seamless it's invisible you never there is never a moment where I'm like oh damn look at the effort that this actor is like portraying like I truly it's like a magic image where when I try and focus on the edges of it it just shifts away and he turns back into Samwise Gamgee and the fact that we don't recognize like (laughs) acts of subtle acting of true depth of feeling is perfectly Mm. mirrored in the ways that we do not acknowledge the addition of quiet kindness in tense conflicts like trying to throw a ring into a volcano like it is he is fundamental to the reasons why this quest succeeds in the same way that Sean Astin is fundamental to the reasons why you care about Frodo's quest. Hell yeah. And it is equally, I think, ignored in sort of I mean, not now because we're 20 years on and no one will shut up about how great Sam is. <laughs> but I, I do think I'm like, 
there's lots of good performances in this and this is just never going to be one that gets recognized mm. with awards recognition yeah there's there's an energy too of especially when you watch just like interviews and stuff with the cast as it sounds like we all have done a lot of like i do think jackson did that thing in casting where it really does feel like each person has the essence of the character they're playing and to some degrees they are like that's so smart fulfilling these roles yeah. in real life and maybe this will also be a, a transition point to Mary and Pippin. <laughs> um but i feel like even when you watch them like it's always it's like elijah's there as the like pure spirit but a little bit quieter and like sean is so outgoing and fun but also in his own the way dad. like Kind yeah. of off well, of his, his own, yeah, exactly. Set. Mental energy, that feeling of that like authenticity shining through in some way. Like I don't know if acting always has to be like that, but I think it's really like there's a really nice quality that comes from that. Definitely, I think that like you can be a good actor and be more bombastic with your choices, but that will always get you award recognition. And the other version doesn't, even though it's equally to me as impressive. Yeah, arguably more. Last thing I'll say on Sam, Sam hot. I just want that on the record. Sam is hot. <laughs> oh, yeah. I actually think that there is a pretty clear um, delineation. Like, I could tell when I aged. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I was like, has he like, always been this hot? Yeah. 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 I was like, oh, what the fuck? You're like, mow, mow my lawn. Not in a euphemistic sense, just literally. Yes, <laughs> in a euphemistic sense. <laughs> well, that too. But also literally just marry me and like do the housework while we have a nice little oh family. God, Sam with like yeah. a little rag over his shoulder, his sleeves exactly. rolled up doing the dishes, come over. Exactly. Give him a like, little kiss. I really do feel like you can kind of be like, like you can chart the in- my sexual interests and and fluidity by being like Legolas hot. Wait a second, who's the brunette with the like sword and the weird beard <laughs> oh. who won't shower? Wait a second, who's the like solid supportive like short king? Uh oh, I don't know what's happening for me in my forties, but if oh. it's Denethor, I'm <laughs> I was gonna out. say I didn't it's just Theoden. You're just like ready. To oh, I'm oh. already on the Theoden train. To be clear, and then eventually your Gandalf face. <laughs> I, like... I I mean, listen, I should be so lucky. Um, one, this podcast supports short kings. Two, I'm I'm actually nervous for when we get to Aragorn. Like I'm active, like I'm nervous. So that's all I'll say. We'll we'll, we'll pause that out. Let's let's talk about those other two knuckleheads, Merry and Pippin, who I think really are like they are they are characters who we are gonna you know again we're gonna see their full arcs over the course of the films. The kind of like understanding that the shit has hit the fan like kind of works its way through like Frodo then Sam then Merry then Pippin and Pippin kind of like mm. it's really like Return of the King where you see him like <laughs> understand Pippin like never it takes him two movies to be like are we in danger you it's guys? like I mean to have like a conception of like I think he gets like the danger occasionally like oh I probably shouldn't have knocked that skeleton into that well but you know his real conception of the evils of the world is going to come in the in the halls of of Gondor later on but the arc to get there from being like with Gandalf like pulls their ears and they do the ah, oh, oh, oh. they're like really these like larger than life characters at the beginning. I think of Mary uh, Dom Monaghan as being a like one of his defining characteristics is that he's like a guy who likes to chill, but he understands what to do when the shit hits the fan. We're yeah. starting to see that towards the end of this. They actually do a pretty nice job differentiating what could just be like, oh, and those are the like Fred and George in Harry Potter terms of like, oh, this is the little duo that's like goofy Mm -hmm. and comes along. But they do a nice job being like, yeah, Pippin really is out of it. And Mary is like a middle ground between the Frodo and the the Pippin of it all. In terms of your little like (laughs) 
your ear mm-hmm. comedy, something that I, I appreciated on this rewatch is like, Jackson does this, it's almost like a Three Stooges kind of a thing with the Hobbits sometimes, especially at the beginning where there's a part where they're sort of running through the fields after Mary and Pippin have stolen the carrots and cabbages and like one reaches the yeah. end and then another one bumps him and then another one bumps him and then the fourth one bumps him and they all go tumbling over the hill. And there's a lot of that kind of goofy physical comedy that I think all four of them do really well. And that again, sort of sets the stage for like, this is the lighthearted comedy point. And then at the end where we're all like weeping over Gandalf, we see, you know, how far things have really come. Yeah. I have a hot take. Billy Boyd is the single best piece of casting in this movie. I'm not saying performance. I'm not saying anything besides casting purely from a casting standpoint. Hmm. He could not be more perfect. And he is the platonic ideal of of casting for this character. He's a perfect hobbit. He's a perfect hobbit. He's perfect in every way. He he fulfills every possible brief. He is the one performer who I think if he literally, they're all, as we mentioned, really well cast. But if Billy Boyd walked onto set without a script, you'd, <laughs> you'd have Pippin. That's true. That's yeah. true. And he was my yeah. first favorite hobbit. Um, I think Aww, I think maybe I'm cute. really like a, a Mary lover now. Uh, but, mm. but, um, Mary's just so good. But, but I like, as a, as a kid, I was like obsessed with Billy Boyd as Pippin. I mean, just like his, his little one-liner. Cute. So like to bring comic relief to a movie that is very earnest and dramatic and, and like epic in a lot of things is like, that's an important role. And, you know, we'll, 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 we'll get to the Gimli of it all. Cause that's also kind of his function, but, um, <laughs> but Billy Boyd, just like every time he opens his mouth, I mean, like it's like the jokes, like, like at this point, like I've quoted second breakfast to death in my life, but like, damn, it's funny. Mm-hmm. It's well, that's a, that's a well handled comic bit. It's also such an accessible bit. Like mm-hmm. all his bits, as you say, like the Three Stooges stuff, you can watch them and not be a Lord of the Rings super fan. Your friend can have dragged you to this and you will probably laugh at something Billy Boyd mm-hmm. does. And that's mm-hmm. a win and a way into the movie. I I also, I need to soapbox. I need to just, my main entry point now to Merry and Pippin as characters is this deep understanding and like I might cry talking about this, that Dominic Monaghan and Billy Boyd just are real life like best friends. Yeah. They host a podcast together, which mm-hmm. highly recommend. I think it's called The Friendship Onion. <laughs> and and at first I was like, okay, is this kind of you know? I do feel like actors you have real friendships that then you can Play sort of like put on yeah. for the camera a little bit because you know it's charming. But I was listening to their podcast and they're talking about being in like a video game league where they all play and like the fourth member is Billy Boyd's like teenage son. (laughs) And the authenticity of their like genuine friendship is so moving to me. They're both also like low-key real Lord of the Rings fans. Like sometimes they'll do trivia on the show and they are knowing deep cuts about Hobbit lore and... I think when I watched these originally, like, Mary didn't really do that much for me. But then Lost was so huge for just, like, transforming my vision of Dominic Monaghan. And now I'm just mm-hmm. – I, I I just think he's, like, such a cool and interesting celebrity and has had such an interesting career path. And whenever there's the sort of cast reunion things, like, I always feel like Dominic Monaghan is really fueling <laughs> the energy of them. 
Does this matter for their performance in these movies? Maybe not, but like, or maybe <laughs> these yes. are the things like, I'm like thinking of when I'm you know, rewatching them. The conviviality reads. It's uh, yeah. it's semiotics, you know. Uh, people, it's not really semiotics. Um, Doctor Sam Summers is rolling his uh, rolling his eyes to be this, but but it's like what I, yeah. What I mean is like you know when we talk about the performances like and the characters and like the casting like it all it all is part of it. You know, it's like I can't talk about Jack Sparrow and like not actually also be thinking about Johnny Depp. Like it's mm-hmm. it's in there, you know. So. Um, but we're not talking about Jack Sparrow or Johnny Depp. Um, no. Thank fucking God. We're talking God. about anyway. Wonder Woman. <laughs> um, and, uh, and those are our sweet hobbits. Any other hobbit takes? Well, should I, we throw in – I know you had him on the list somewhere, but I feel like Ian Holm as Bilbo, like he is actually the first hobbit we spend the most time with. And in that way, I think he set he sets a, a lot of the tone of like what we think – hobbits are and i think he does an excellent job like all those scenes with gandalf at the beginning an incredibly excellent they job. just have this yeah so good and they have this history right like you feel like the events of the hobbit yeah. took place <laughs> the things that they're referencing and how casually he's bringing up like oh and this is when you know the trolls got frozen and oh this in the misty mountain like you feel the history of all that well, and i would also in say the performances that's another place caroline where that dynamic you're talking about comes to the fore if you have two Longtime British stars of the stage and screen who have a long association, who are bringing their mm-hmm. experience to bear and have this immense respect for respect for and knowledge of each other's styles. And so I think you read their history in addition to the fact that they are, you know, doing acting with great skill. <laughs> I think you read the history between the performers there as well. The two Ians. Yeah. Here's the only thing I have to add. Please. Ten minutes before we recorded this podcast, I opened the Google Doc up with the list of names we were going to look at and frantically scrolled through it trying to have interesting thoughts. And the only thought that I managed to have before we started recording was, can you imagine if Bilbo was your fucking uncle? How annoying <laughs> that would be? Like, can you imagine how fucking annoying Bilbo would be as to have as an uncle? Because he's just always recounting his, like, one big adventure. He's, he's like a kind of a superior he's dick. Like, and a drama queen. Yeah, he's a superior dick. He has all of this, like, world. Like, he went on one vacation one time, and he won't <laughs> shut the fuck up about it. He's also, like, weirdly, like, kind of, like, selfish. He's standoffish. He's agoraphobic. He doesn't want, you know, like, the fucking any visitors, no party business. And then to throw a gigantic party, insult, like, half of your guests, (laughs) and then, like, double middle finger up with your magic ring and, like, not even tell your nephew, like, you're going to just, like, peace? Like, fuck you, He doesn't say goodbye to Frodo. Even after Gandalf is specifically like, you should say goodbye to Frodo. Like, <laughs> it will mess him up if you don't say goodbye. He's like, no problem. I got it. I'm going to say goodbye. And then like, does not. Like, Frodo is your ward. That that bitch is an orphan except for you. You're just going to be like, sorry, I got my walking stick and my weed. And what did I forget? To say goodbye <laughs> to my nephew? Nah. Nah, I'm he good. This is why Bobo is fucking terrific. And the performance that Ian Holm yeah. gives mm-hmm. is amazing. Like, I really, I really think... He does such a good job. Um, like you can feel he's he's he feels like a real personality, like the kind of guy that would be in a village. Like mm-hmm. the guy is a small village. He's the guy who basically thinks like he's better than everything there. Um, but like you also have this feeling that that is totally like it's based on having just like seen some shit. It's like people who like, you know, like serve in the military and they come back and they're like, I don't know. Everything feels kind of yeah. like soft and fake, you know, like he 
is it's like that and that experience and then it's the ring and here's what's awesome is like you get the you get the whole prologue which tells you like the world is big there's an ancient dark lord blah 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 but they they really scale it back as we said for a long time in the shire and before you get the like Nazgul riding out of whatever the place is called um before you get like the great blazing eye like all there is a sense of malice that is running through it and it is in yeah. Bilbo. It is honestly like yes. it's in Ian Holmes' yeah. performance that yeah. is like there's a darkness here. Mm-hmm. It's and it's like it's cool because it's just like he's he's haunted and he has a mm-hmm. substance abuse issue, like literally. Yeah, yeah. The way he even does—I don't know if this was a dir- direction or just an acting choice—but he'll go to like feel the ring in his pocket, like almost like this little tick or this little like habit mm-hmm. that he has, mm-hmm. you know. And it just feels so lived in and like a, such a natural gesture yeah. to be. Yeah, doing. I mean, it's like kind of like supernatural, like the fan, the like the fantasy addict thing that he has going on. With no, it's here in my pocket so good and he just like he has that like addict kick even though it feels like he doesn't understand what he's doing with he's got this great sadness like you can just tell he senses like what it is he's like saddling frodo with but like he kind of feels like he like can't fix it he's like there's like a familiar grouchiness and then there's this edge underneath it um and i just like that's how you know that like out there, outside of the world, like there's this evil, and it kind of never stopped like clinging to Bilbo. Um, so, mm-hmm. I, Ned, I almost just oh, please. go ahead, go ahead. I almost just said that's so smart, <laughs> and then I cut myself <laughs> off because podcasts aren't about being smart. But I, <laughs> I thought that was so perfectly put, and I've never been able to articulate it. Menace is the note that yeah. is specific to that performance, and. I, sidebar, I used to have an action figure where you push the bottom and it went, the ring must go to Frodo. Um, what a strange line. That's not relevant. Just wanted to share that that's what it said. Um, but there is this like, by the time we get to actual evil, scary, jump scare yeah. Bilbo, like the groundwork has been laid because the performance is a little yeah. scary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, that jump scare, oh, the so single scary. scariest moment yeah. in the entire Incredible. trilogy. Oh, like, God. I had to fast forward through that scene when I was little. To, even I still today, don't I like it. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I feel the impulse to fast forward spooky. through this. Yeah. Yeah. And he just, but he just does a great, a great job with that. And uh, he's also like extremely funny. His whole, like, his whole monologue of the, you know, I, I know. I like half less you, than uh, half of you half as well. No, I know that less than half of you half as well as I would like, and I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. Zoe, well done. Take yeah, a breath. Well done. <laughs> and I just like the way I he like says, 111th birthday. Oh, the birthday. I was about to say that. He's like slurring it like yeah. he's a little bit drunk. He's like, I'm a, oh, he's, a, he's, a he's a lot of bit drunk. Yeah. And he smoked <laughs> weed before the party. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, and the way he like talks to the little like baby hobbits and tells his story, I just think like oh, it is so a – like. For the fact that he is kind of just like your inciting incident, like I got it from my weird uncle, like of the story, like he is so rich. It's such a rich performance. Yeah. Big Bilbo fan. Ian Holm said he, he said since I think we probably all watched this, but he basically gave a different uh, read on every single take Cool. Um, because that is his specific approach is like, I trusted, he was like, I trusted Peter Jackson to build there are so many versions of Bilbo that could exist and it will depend on what this story needs. So I'm going to give him every version of Bilbo and then he can build me. And I think that's such an incredible example 
the performance that resulted is an amazing example of collaboration between an actor and director because it's 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 everything it needs to be and you still feel that like dynamism and richness that comes from Ian Holm having explored all those different avenues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His those scenes early on are like while it feels like the other characters you're still getting a grip on them, it's the scenes that Bilbo has and mainly the ones he shares with Gandalf. So let's talk about freaking Gandalf. Zandalf. Let's talk about Zandalf. Zandalf, let's Gandalf go. The, in the reunion video, there's a part where they're sort of they're sort of have them mm-hmm. quote their lines and 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 Ian McKellen's just like, Yes, it was I, Gandalf the gay. <laughs> and it's just like you seeing him kind of reclaim what I'm sure was a much used jokingly line uh-huh. is so funny and charming. Yeah. I mean, this is arguably the iconic performance from this specific film. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's the Oscar nomination. Um, yeah, the sole acting Oscar nomination for the entire trilogy. Yeah. Insane. Was the supporting actor nom for McKellen for hmm. the first movie. I know that too. And I will say, this is a performance, yeah, this is a performance I think I've grown comfortable with in the sense that it is so good and so essential and so oft quoted that I perhaps underrate it in that I, I never rank it in my like, oh, this is my favorite. And one of the like really magical things about seeing this in theaters um, in a crowd where there are clearly some first timers is this is the performance that gets them. Mm-hmm. This is the one where they're like, this is our guy. It, it, every note of it is pitch perfect. And he takes what could be gobbledygook. He has so much exposition to deliver <laughs> in the first hour totally of this movie. True. It's insane. And he invests it with the realism of his like Macbeth masterclass. Like mm-hmm. he makes it work. And he, by extension, is honestly i think the thing that makes the movie work without this performance the whole souffle falls apart um in a way that like if you had a if you had a shitty pippin say this movie would not be magical but the movie could survive mm-hmm. if this performance didn't work there's no movie. totally totally true yeah he shows up fully formed you know it's like he's got yeah he's got everything i mean we we talk about the sort of familiarity that he has this wry wisdom mm-hmm. this like sense of mischief his like watchfulness. There's just there's just like so many, so many layers to the performance, and he like, just technically like he does not waste like a moment, like not a word, not a look, not a gesture. He's like always doing just tea. Thank you. Yeah. I was thinking about the scene where he like it's 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 a it's an early hint on Bilbo, but it's when he first sees Bilbo and he says, "You haven't aged a day," and it's like yeah. it's like your familiar old friend, but also like. That's not good. That that was the part of the McKellen performance that impressed me most on this rewatch because in the latter half of this movie and then certainly when he comes back as Gandalf the White, he's very much in like, you know, traditional action hero mm-hmm. wizard role and all and the seriousness of that. But the playfulness that he has in the Shire yeah. part in the beginning awesome. where he's like it kind of feels like I get to like take off my big boy yeah. wizard pants and just like go have some fun with my simple friends that yeah. I love so much and the playfulness is great but then exactly as you say Ned the sort of knowing and this is similar to what I was saying with Frodo but like the burden of knowing yeah. he's like something's off and I want to just sit here and smoke weed with my friend and go to his birthday but like in the back of my mind I'm like I should be investigating that thing that like I can't just let go and having to play. And you see this a lot in the scene where he's like 
dealing with the ring with Frodo. And he's like, oh, what if we casually threw it into the fire? Mm-hmm. Everything's fine. Don't worry about it. It's totally fine. Oh, there's Elvish on it. That sounds that sounds bad, but everything will be fine. He has to like balance well, these two Well, and then Caroline, things. two of my favorite acting moments in this whole movie and in the franchise are the moment when he says it's some form of Elvish. And then he, uh, no, he says, uh, there's no, Flutter goes like, there's no markings. Oh, wait. And it cuts to a close-up of Ian McKellen's face. Mm -hmm. And you see in his eyes, he knows the rest of the movie is about to happen. And he, the whole burden of that is on his face. And he turns around and goes, when Frodo says, I can't read it. And he goes, there are a few who can. (laughs) And he knows it. And then you go right into that fucking baller in the tongue of Mordor. It is in the tongue of Mordor, Mm -hmm. which I'm not not utter here. It says, one ring to rule them all, one ring to find Mm -hmm. them. And it's like... I, I'm stumbling over my words because I'm like I'm so like sad. sweating with joy, um, and that's mirrored later by the moment in the Council of Elrond when you yeah. they're all arguing, everyone's freaking out, and Frodo says, "I will take it." And again, it cuts to Ian McKellen in a close up, and just the weariness on his face mm. because again he knows, and he's the only one who yeah. knows. Yeah, it's an incredible and it's like moment. yeah, right, and he's like it. He didn't want it for Frodo. He wanted Frodo to go home, but he also understands it needed to be this mm-hmm. way. And it's like, but maybe if he hadn't volunteered, like it wouldn't have been. It is this like, oh no, but also, of course, yeah. kind of feeling. It is so yeah. good. Ned and I got high about a year ago and we're watching. Did you do little smoke rings and a smoke uh, ship? <laughs> I don't smoke, so I ate one pineapple flavored five milligram gummy and was there, baby. But we did the eating a gummy version of blowing a ship's shape. Sure, yeah, of course. So. We, and I was reading through an excellent book, which, um, oh, fucking, what's his name? Adams. Ned, Doug Adams, know? not Roll related it. to other Thank Doug you. Adams. Incredible work. I love my Rolodex. Yeah, so we were watching this movie and reading through this book that Doug Adams wrote about the music of The Lord of the Rings. It is so comprehensive. It is such an incredible breakdown of like every note and its meaning. But as we were reading, we realized in the the early Gandalf scenes, we were like, holy shit. It never occurred to me that Gandalf just showed up for Bilbo's birthday. Like, I thought he knew some evil was stirring and he was, like, showing up to be like, Bilbo, remember when I sent you on that journey? Like, what's good? But he actually is just here to, like, party. And (laughs) the, like, the, like, realization where he's like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. I got to go to the dusty parchment room and find the dusty parchment that says we have to all Mm -hmm. go on a quest is, like, if you don't know what's – I was, like, that was, like, a discovery to me this last year. And I think what you two are talking about, which is so smart, is what we've also been talking about with the hobbits, where the hobbits have sort of an edge of darkness. And that I think when you have what could be an all-powerful wizard, there's something so useful about being like, and he's also just kind of like, he just loves to like smoke with his buddies. (laughs) His love of the halfling's leaf has blinded him. Okay. Emily, what have I been going around saying like for the whole weekend with that? Ned will not shut the fuck up about this. Your love of the halfling's leaf has blinded (laughs) him. It's been so funny to watch the cultural conversation go from no laughs at that line to huge laugh Mm -hmm. line. (laughs) Um, That does make me want to think about what I've really what I just really stuck out for me for whatever reason on the last view, which is the relationship of Gandalf and Saruman, that, like, Gandalf is so powerful. And if you focus on, like, his, like, total control in the Shire, his, like, going toe-to-toe with the Balrog, and his, like, you know, basically becoming, like, a like an OP, like, um, force of nature in the later films. Like, you almost forget about these little moments 
where his like totally deferring nature with Saruman. Yeah. That struck me too. His like, when he says, trust me, Frodo, he will know what to do. And he's just like, I have a best friend who's so cool and smart. And he's the wisest guy in our whole order of wizards. And he's going to tell me everything. And he like, kind of like hobbles along next to him, kind of like hunched over. And the fact that like Saruman is such a dick. So, so Christopher Lee's Saruman is my, my sort of take on him is that he like, he is great at this sort of like classic high fantasy stentorian wizard magisterial like authority but like it it just hit me on this last time that he also was just like a bad friend to Gandalf and a prick yeah (laughs) and not just a friend but like a mentor like we meet Gandalf when he's so high status because he's hanging out with the hobbits who are just like you know the little they're not even playing the game guinea pigs yeah exactly they're not even in the game so it's like oh Gandalf but then you get the sense Gandalf might be like bottom tier wizard right and he's like Real okay well I'll, like, go, yeah. I'll go to the boss and like ask you know him what's going on and he'll help me and then it's like oh shit my boss is a nazi yes. and i need to like i mean deal with this on my own my hot take here is and this is maybe ungenerous but like christopher lee wanted to play gandalf and is he maybe yeah. getting a little pleasure and being like hey mckellen fuck you like <laughs> little bitch <laughs> Again, it's feeding into the performance and yes. the authenticity of the people. It just like hit me as so funny that like, it's like while discussing these like major like forces of good and evil moving, he's also like, and you missed it because you were smoking weed with hobbits, man. Like that's not true. He's just being a jerk to him, but yeah. Do you, do you know what it is about the McKellen performance? And I think that this is in contrast to the Christopher Lee performance. It's like there's there is actually a vulnerability mm-hmm. to Gandalf, mm-hmm. which mainly we only see in those like private like close ups that are when he's not facing anybody. But there is a sense that he's like, I am in over my head and like this is bad and could go really badly. And I'm not like pulling a fun wizard prank where I'm pretending to be like lost in Moria. Like I genuinely am overwhelmed in this situation, but I have to put on this brave face because I am sort of leading this group. And that's in contrast to Lee who like, who does have the sense that like Saruman does not have that vulnerability. Like he has that righteous, you know, evil in him and he's making the Urukai and he's, (laughs) you know, doing his thing. And he's, he has that confidence that I think will eventually like be whatever the downfall of evil, but it's the vulnerability of Gandalf that I think you see more in this movie than maybe in the next two. Yeah, well, it's, that I think makes that performance so special. What's interesting to me, a relationship I really think is underrated, is the only person we ever see him be vulnerable with is Aragorn, um, who is perhaps the only other member of the Fellowship he sees as like, I, I wouldn't use the term equal per se, because it implies like condescension from Gandalf, which I don't think he has, but he... He and Aragorn have like a little little bond that is very yeah. different from his relationship to the hobbits and is also very different from his relationship to like Legolas and Gimli and Boromir. Um, I don't know if it's like a foresighty type thing where he knows that Aragorn will have to lead the party for a time. Um, as you can tell, I'm they're like the mom and dad. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe that's like what Gandalf I'm walks to say. in front and Aragorn is at the back of the line, but they're both in the like protective positions of the group. Yeah, lead them to the bridge of Casa Doom. Mom, I gotta go <laughs> take care of this Balrog. I need to go back and repark yeah. the car, which is being attacked by uh, an, a demon of the ancient world. <laughs> a Balrog of Morgoth. Also, like, you, you shall not pass. Like, yeah, I, we didn't even maybe mention the it. the most iconic, iconic line yeah. of the movie, if not yeah, the franchise. Huge. That's how you know he's a theater actor. You can just see that diaphragm supporting oh my the God. voice. You know oh, what yeah. I'm saying? Oh, my God. 
Also, it is, he does say, as I mentioned in the Frodo segment, he says my favorite line in the whole series, which is the, all you have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to you. And it's a, it's a perfect line reading. And again, that slight softness is really what makes Mm it. And the like twinkle in the eye. Yeah, it's not a pronouncement. It's like a sharing of sacred information. It's Mm -hmm. so beautiful. It's kind of awesome because like you really feel like you can, like if you just picture like Gandalf epic, like you can just see all these like, you know, him like raising up the sword and the staff and him like, you know, like flying off the edge of the tower and like holding his, you know, doing with Saruman. But also like so many of his scenes, just these little like shot reverse shot, like I'm sitting here talking to my buddy. And there was a mm-hmm. video essay um, by a guy named Chris Hartwell uh, that's about, it's just called like, I think it's called like Fellowship of the Ring, like why it's the best. And this is a guy who, mm-hmm. Emily found these videos through, um, through, I think it was like he does these color corrections. Like he like redid the color yeah. grade on the Lord of the Rings franchise and he did like a re-edit of The Hobbit. Um, anyway, like. He he redid the color grade because when the extended editions came out on DVD, they had they had recolored a bunch of them, and it if oh. you see them side by side, it's like it's like Pretty shocking. Green. It's been like basically like given the fantasy color wash where mm-hmm. everything is like super green. Um, mm-hmm. And Chris Hartwell did this like amazing restore of that. Sorry, continue. so you're saying the extended editions were had, had suffered in comparison to the original. <laughs> Well, you seeded the floor only to be <laughs> a small, a little greenness, which I would call a small price to pay for the inclusion of the concerning hobbits and figuring out just what exactly did happen to Isildur, as well as a number of other scenes. But he got shot in the back. Yeah, but like, why? Why Move did the on. ring help him out? Oh, because it chose because it betrayed yeah, but, him. But how did it betray him? It slipped off his finger. By being a okay, betrayer, Ned. How did <laughs> also, what about Baron Luthien? We don't like about that. All right, we'll come to that when we get to Aragorn. But um, but I'm in any ready. case, um, uh, I'm going to throw you Aragorn in a second. Uh, but uh, Chris Hartwell kind of makes the observation that he's like, when you are establishing like Gandalf and the Hobbits, like you get these kind of like clever effects shots to be like, look, they're small, he's big. But most of the time, it's just these – they just shoot it in a way where it's intimate enough that, like, you don't have to do any, like, visual trickery and, like, you aren't thinking about those differences. You're just, like, good little one-on-one chats. Gandalf has a lot of those. And, yeah, like, when that line comes back at the end of the movie, Zoe, you're like, yeah, that's good. I want to hear him say it again. He said it really well. Yeah. Yeah. Also, maybe my biggest laugh in all of Fellowship is when he he hits his head on the door frame Bilbo's <laughs> Where he's so struggling with the chandelier and then just like turns around and does it again. And that is like Didn't he actually hit his head? Isn't that the trivia? Yeah. Oh, he might have. Lore, yeah. yes. But it is so it is such a good like theater trained reaction to whatever, <laughs> you know, to get something out of it and to get it's so funny. It really is like perfectly timed. Makes yeah. me laugh every time. And we might call that foreshadowing for the bridge of Kazadum with his strong diaphragm support Boom. of a screen. Boom. Boom. We love some diaphragm support <laughs> foreshadowing. I thought you were going to say when he does physical comedy again by falling off the bridge <laughs> to his apparent death. I took the wrong uh, lessons, oh. yeah. You know what else I love? The way he talks to that moth <laughs> and the way he catches that moth and it's just like, I'm whispering to a This moth. is not a visual like, medium, what? so I should say Emily and I both immediately <laughs> cupped our hands in which... <laughs> just the insane things you have to do in genre, like yeah. filmmaking. Like, please dress as a full-on 
D&D style wizard and just stand here in the snow and just like look yeah. dignified. He's trying to bring down the mountain. Sorry, that was Aragorn's line. Just like line. he <laughs> he delivers on every every front of that commitment to the genre. He really does. And no matter what like part of the movie you're watching, like he's giving you loads and loads every second. But at this point, I want to talk about mom. Let's talk about <laughs> Aragorn. Mama. Son of Arathorn? Dude, this is very upsetting to me to call Aragorn mama. I don't like I regret no, that. He's I did. daddy. He's daddy. Let's, let's talk about real. let's talk about daddy mama. Let's talk about Okay. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna jump, <laughs> on, jump on in. Him. I think I need to like I need to go get this uh-huh. over with. I yeah. need to like get through it. Rip that I'm, band-aid off, Zoe. Yeah. This is this is the love of my life. <laughs> this is um maybe the only person I've ever truly loved. I I used to when I was ten and the movie would come on, I would walk up and kiss the screen and I had to be told to stop by my parents because I was leaving marks all over the TV. Ten year old lip marks all over the screen. Every time we pop on the fellowship DVD. Um I had the poster on my ceiling. Um, I love him and I know everyone loves him, but I love him in a unique and special way that no one else understands. <laughs> Say more about the unique and special way in which you love him. Please. I mean, it's hard to. That's the thing. It's, it's, unique it's, so, it's so real to me. It's Again, it's real in that way of like, I have loved this man for what, 20 years of my mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it has to do with, and much has been written about this, um, so I'll just reiterate it. It, it is the softness, as again. Um, these are soft, beautiful boys. And Aragorn could both kick anyone's ass who dared to fuck with him or you, is, you know, the best warrior in the land, and also cries and feels and mourns and sings and, and writes cool poetry jewelry. and wears, oh my god, I... I'm a sucker for rings. I always have been. And I'm just now realizing why. Um, <laughs> but it's, and I think it also, to circle back to not just me being in my feelings, there is an incredible movie star charisma in Vigo Mortensen's performance. And it's a fascinating charisma because it is, it's quiet. It's not like a, a Will Smith charisma, for mm-hmm. example, who I think of as someone mm-hmm. who is like, Will Smith walks on screen, you're like, that's a fucking totally. movie star. Yes, 100%. Vigo Mortensen, it's it seeps in more quietly, and you suddenly realize that you just can't take your eyes off him, and he owns the power in every scene he's in whenever he chooses to. And he doesn't often choose to, but if if he wants the eyes to be on him, which Aragorn often doesn't, they are. And I, I don't even know, like, that is also in the coverage and the direction, but there is, like, an inextricable inextricable that's not even the word i'm looking for i'm so i'm like blushing right now um there is an immense an immense personal charisma and power that he brings to this performance and i love watching interviews with orlando bloom where orlando bloom's like i was in love with him it's not weird (laughs) which honestly i feel like you feel like i think everyone has little they were all in love with him it's it's an easy cast to like ship different characters right yeah but i'm like if I a lot of the relationships do read more friendship to me, but if there is a ship, I would actually say it's Legolas and Aragorn. Do feel like they have a special spark beyond? Oh yeah, anyone. Caroline. The clip- fan fiction community really agrees oh, with you. I'm Don't worry sure, about it. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, and then there's that clip of him like planting one on Billy Boyd. Like all mm. the boys have been like, we he was our captain, our king. Like we would follow him to the end. He's he was that guy on set, and I think also he's just so handsome. Like a, he just, that shot, oh my God, even before we get to the doors at Helm's Deep, like the shot of him with the freaking like 
torch on the roof mm-hmm. of Leathertop when the Nazgul was behind him and he just turned. Which was the first thing they filmed. Wow. <laughs> Weathertop was the first thing they filmed. The Sorry to interrupt. No, please your, to cut me your... off. This is a like, I will just <laughs> speak until off. someone stops me. Yeah. Thank you. I was just going to say for some, I feel like I have so many Aragorn thoughts as well and I might just save for future episodes since for the sake of time. But I just wanted to add for context here that that Stuart Townsend was originally cast in yes. this role. And I think they had begun filming yes. before they cast Vigo. Like it was a real, I think a lot about these movies are kind of like miracles that they happened the way it did. But the idea of like this one central performance that everything kind of hinges on in a way, getting cast <laughs> essentially at the last minute because Vigo's son was a big fan of the books and was like, dad, you should do that. And also one of the and producers then- happened to see Vigo in a play. That was the other factor, wow. is they had no one. It's all and- about theater, people. Theater <laughs> is where you cast the good actors. Some guy saw him in a play and was like, uh, hot take, maybe this is our dude. Yeah, and then him coming in and like he said, he was like, I'm glad Weathertop was the first stuff we filmed because it was just like physical, you know, yeah. fighting. Like I didn't have to have this fully formed character yet. But yeah, just what a miracle that that happened. He's also so, he is like a dancer in that he's so proficient with the sword. He apparently is the best like horse rider that a lot of these horse like wranglers said they've ever worked with like his body is so much in this performance he slept with his sword he would sleep outside in his cloak like method whatever but you can feel it like he is a grungy boy and because i have the mic i will end by saying (laughs) peter jackson wanted eowyn and uh, aragorn together you can tell in the coverage in the way he shoots them together in the way the extended edition pads out that relationship i will not be elaborating thank you It is kind of one of those things where you're like, we've got to take the Arwen-Aragorn relationship like on faith based on things that happened before the events of the film. Because, I mean, they're good together. They have- Are they? they, I don't know. (laughs) No, no, I I actually meant that. That sounded like a troll. But I actually sincerely, I do think there is a a bit of a chemistry issue there. And I'm loath to critique my favorite films of all time. But he's even said, he's like, I, Vigo was like, I was aware of the age difference when we had to do She's these so young. kissing scenes. And she, the older I get, the more I'm and like. And yet in some ways, she's immortal <laughs> and he's the young one, yeah. if you really think yeah, about it. Yeah, she's like that years old. And he's, the age he, gap he's is like a really baby. problematic is think about how old Arwen is compared to. That's true. Aragorn, but that is an Arwen. interesting thing to hear about. But it is, I can, I, all I feel, yeah, all I feel when I watch it is like, I, I feel how young she is and the fact that. They just don't seem to want to be kissing each other. Mm. Whereas when he goes up to Eowyn, I'm sorry, and goes, you have some skill with a blade. Sparks, sparks, visible crackles <laughs> of electricity back and forth between them. Yes. In, just in terms, not of chemistry, but of pure hotness of Aragorn, there's this mouth thing that he does when Eowyn's blade is on his neck. When oh. he's like looking for the flowers. Oh, he does this little like, er, God. Just, like just like YouTube that. Or like, Ooh. I'll see if I can find a GIF and put it on. Playing rent-free in my brain right now. Yeah, yeah it's, it does it does this uh, thing that's powerful. Um, There's a Hozier fan cam um, on TikTok about Aragorn that I've now watched uh, 500 times. I'll send it to everyone. And um, if you know who I am, you can request it from me. <laughs> <laughs> I have two Aragorn thoughts. Please. Mm-hmm. My first is, do we think that Viggo Mortensen grew up knowing he was hot because mm, um, he – I have a t- take on this, but continue. Okay. I was just going to say, here's the deal. Like, he's he's so hot. Like, he yeah. has, like, basic genetic hotness that, like, I don't think can be denied and did not 
I, I have to imagine he was hot young and is hot as Aragorn. But he has sort of this, like, weird, like, counterculture homeschool vibe to him. Yes. Yeah. Like, even just as a human, Viggo Mortensen, you feel For like sure. when he talks, you're like, oh, my God. Did you get raised in a forest somewhere? Because, like, no one is talking this way. Peter Jackson described it, but he said that – he was like, he was like, Vigo, like, you know, we asked him last minute if he wanted this role. Mm. And he was like, you ask Vigo what time it is. It's going to take him two or three days to think about it and get an yeah. answer back to you. Like, he does not function like a normal human being. Yeah. So that, what you're describing, he I think, is very He writes poetry. Accurate. He, like, is a polyglot. He chooses to, like, wander the woods with his partner all the time. There's an amazing, I recommend for all the Vigo heads, there's, like, an incredible GQ article where, spoiler alert, the writer is basically like, I, I have finished writing writing this I'm in love with this man and also he's the strangest freaking person I've ever met in my life so he he I think he's such a genuine weirdo that he maybe didn't know how hot he was but he was cast in the film Witness the Peter Weir classic um purely off his hotness essentially Peter Weir like saw him and was like gotta put him in a movie was that like Amish Harrison yeah that's the Harrison Ford Amish movie which is a fantastic film Vigo has uh, maybe one line he barely speaks he was cast because, again, Peter Weir was like, this face needs to be in a movie. And yeah. he is shocking to look at in Lord of the Rings. He is even more shocking to look at in Witness. It is like <laughs> just like an Adonis has descended among men. So I think he must must have been aware in some capacity, but more... My theory is not that he's not aware, but that it doesn't matter to him. Yes. This is the mm. feeling I get, which is like... it. it, it Someone has told him once, and he looked at it as though it was like a smooth pond stone and then cast it aside. Yeah. Like, he was like, oh, this? It is nothing to me. Like that meme with the butterflies. Exactly. Yeah. Is this is conventional this good appeal? looks? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and I think this leads me to my second point, which is like, I've been thinking a lot as I listen to you, uh, to, to Zoe, Caroline, and I talk about the ways these movies have imprinted on us, like some sort of like freakish vampire or werewolf baby a la Twilight, that like maybe there is just a whole generation of 11 to like 14-year-old women who suddenly saw these depictions of like incredibly vulnerable men mm. holding mm-hmm. weapons and something in our like soft brains was like ka-chunk, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> And I yeah, wonder if 1, there's like percent. like millions of women aged now like late 20s, early 30s who are like, God, I just love like a scruffy man who's going to like empower me to kill the king of the ring wraiths. And I just don't know why. 1000%. Like, yeah. This is like the cultural division of like, were, I feel like this came up recently because it was the anniversary of the movies, but it was like, were you a Legolas girl or were you an Aragorn yes. girl was the main divide. But then you could be like, oh, I was a Pippin girl. I was a Frodo. I was a Boomer mm-hmm. girl. Like you can have sort of weirder subcategories, but I feel like at, for our age, it was a real like Legolas versus Aragorn pick your fighter yeah. uh, division. And that kind of shaped or it sounded like you emily sort of would went back and forth at various times but i feel like these were formative to our uh (laughs) entire beings and to be clear i think that one of the valuable things here is that you can literally like throw a dart at the men i mean and not as much the women because there's no women in this movie but at the men in this movie and be like wow what a vulnerable man <laughs> like yeah. I think mm-hmm. that it's valuable that yeah. you even get the choice much between all of them. Legolas and Aragorn because you literally can choose so many men who have positive like 
non-toxic masculine qualities mm-hmm. and that's rare yeah you could go for a haldir like you could go yeah. crazy yeah oh yeah yeah but aragorn is he's the most vulnerable of the men and and i think this this whole meta thing that we're talking about the like if your character is supposed to be like he's from the line of kings but he's been living in exile as like a weirdo in the woods and like he doesn't want the like the he doesn't want the crown for power but he'll do it if he like has to and you're gonna like want him to be king like it needs to be this like weird woods wandering doesn't know he's hot or doesn't care he's hot kind of yeah. guy that like brings <laughs> That's it. That's what makes you beautiful. Who is also, by the way, now arguably the biggest movie star in the cast, like who has gone on to become, mm. if you like, interesting. if you sit yeah. down with everyone, well, he's Orlando the one Bloom, who, right? uh, Orlando Bloom, yes, but I would say Vigo like is the one who's gotten the Oscar nominations, is the one who's been like very, he has consistently now been working in prestige projects ever since this mm. movie came out. Green Book accepted. I forgive you, Vigo. Like, he is such a consummate. He ate that pizza. I don't want to talk about it. Folded a pizza no. in half and ate it. He ate it. He ate Salt racism. Good job. Bada bing, bada boom. Okay. I'll take your word for it, having never seen, like, maybe even a trailer for Green Book. So. Nor should you. I don't know why I went. I mean, I do. Let's not. I, We've already, well, we, yeah. we did our Peter Farrelly episode of Green Book. We don't need to go back into Green Book. Um, but he, like, really has become kind of a consummate, like, prestige movie star, and, despite never doing PR. Um, last year he directed a whole ass movie just because he felt like it like he has had an incredibly successful career and at no point has behaved in the like textbook way that a movie star is supposed to behave let's let's go from here let's talk about arwen since we touched on on her a little bit yeah i want to jump in for the bisexuals um who i think Mm -hmm. we are really representing today Um, (laughs) um arwen was also very formative for me and i had that really difficult thing of being like i hate you i hate you I hate you. Mm-hmm. I, I'm obsessed with you. Like Zoe's so enemies to lover arc with Arwen. <laughs> very yeah. much so. And like, spoiler alert, I have dated many girls over the years who have not not looked like uh, like not, Arwen. Not an Arwen. What type. if you had just said spoiler alert? I dated Liv Tyler. Spoiler alert, Liv, you can come in now. Liv. Oh my god, Liv! <laughs> can you imagine? Liv, Liv I loved you in Empire Records, and I thought in Lord of the Rings you were good she's actually in the room you can't see her she's not talking she's on vocal rest and she's just waving in the background this is not a visual medium so. <laughs> yeah. um she just kissed me on the shoulder uh it was very sweet oh that was but, so sweet well, now we're writing fan fiction in real time <laughs> But how is she in this movie, though? No, so yeah, so I think she's obviously not given a ton to do. Um, she was given mm-hmm. more to do by, someone can correct me, either Fran Walsh or Philippa Boyens, who was like, we need to give Arwen a, a thing, a scene. Because um, somebody else rescues, rescues Frodo, rescues right? Frodo. She does, it's not in the book, yeah. yeah none yeah. of that is in the book. And I, age 10, being the worst person in the world, was like, this shit isn't in the book. I hate it. <laughs> um, I did not want that girl power. But um, I, you know, I think it's a very successful scene. I think Liv Tyler is... Uh, not asked to do a ton as far as acting, but very much delivers on what she is asked to do. And I think also maybe doesn't get enough credit for that. I think she's really great in these films um, doing the difficult task of being the floaty, ephemeral, beautiful love interest. And it's time for me to admit that I, I was gay for it. And yeah. I still am. <laughs> she doesn't get enough credit, although notably she is credited like third. In this second. Film. I really True. feel like she's like second. Like, whoever Liv Tyler's agent is, is just pulling. Yeah. Well, yeah. she might. Well, she was I a big star. Sean was famous. Yeah, yeah she, she was, was a big star when this came out. She was out. famous. Yeah. yeah. The only thing I wanted to add is the words Clinique Black Honey. 
Um, yes. This, oh, please say yes. more because that doesn't yeah. mean anything to me. <laughs> Liv Tyler reignited. I mean, Arwen in Lord of the Rings reignited a cult beauty classic. And that is the lipstick shade of Clinique called Black Honey. It is... First of all, of course I own it. Duh. It is a sheer, almost like dark plum lipstick that li- that Arwen wears in the Lord of the Rings movies. And it is gorgeous. It is universally yeah. flattering. And the youth have also discovered this 20 years later. And literally, I could not buy it. It was sold out everywhere when it started trending and going viral. If you are a woman who listens – or sorry – if you're anyone who wears uh, lipstick and listens to Roll Calling, this is your product <laughs> plug. We have the the uh, link in the chat. Save 10% yes, with Roll Calling. Thank you, Clinique, um, for sponsoring this portion of the podcast. Clinique. But I love Just that, kidding, like... They're not sponsoring us. <laughs> but they I can. Love the two decades. I wish. Yeah, they can. <laughs> I love that two decades later, like, this truly small role in a blockbuster that came out in the early 2000s this makeup look is so iconic that yeah. it is still affecting culture today for people who were probably not alive when the theatrical release mm-hmm. of Lord of the Rings happened. Mm-hmm. So that's the only thing I want to say about Arwen, which is say what you will about her acting. Her looks are iconic. Her nipples are sometimes showing. Her yeah. skin is poreless. <laughs> and her lipstick color is on point. <laughs> I will also add, because I have a cold, um, I go, whenever I have a cold, I go, Frodo! <laughs> <laughs> I choose a mortal life. I, I will just tease that this will not be the end of our Aragorn slash Aragorn Arwen discussions over the course of this podcast. Mm-hmm. And for the sake of time, I will save many thoughts for the future. But I really can't overstate like how important Liv Tyler was to me growing up for a different reason than for Zoe. It was because she was my height. She's 5'10". And she was brunette and she was like not a size zero. And like that was a very important to middle school Caroline that even as someone <laughs> who I would not say, oh, this is a person that looks like me, but had like enough vaguely similar similar qualities that I was like, okay, it's okay like to exist the way you are. And I think I'm just very much in the back. I also really love That Thing You Do, the movie That Thing You Mm -hmm. Do, which I think she's terrific in. And I think all of that contributed to me just like really being pro Liv Tyler. And I am also very pro Erwin. Like I, not that we need to pit our female Lord of the Rings characters against each other, but I really like like what Arwen brings here, which I think is a different energy than you get from Galadriel and a different energy than you get from Eowyn. And I really like the very, very classical sort of romance element of it, which I think exists differently than we expect romance to exist in our movies. And yeah, more more thoughts to come. But but there will be a pro Arwen <laughs> through line through this uh, podcast. Interesting. Following up on that seed down the line, uh, for the moment, let's talk about uh, Aragorn's other wife, uh, Legolas, son of Thranduil. <laughs> Beautiful. Because I was a, I was a, I think that honestly, you were like, I was a Legolas girl. girl. Mm. Oh, well, we can't all have taste. Hey, <laughs> you know, I have my own on- ongoing, you know, sort of uh, uh, by question mark journey. You know, I'm finding these sort uh, of like very ethereal, like soft, delicate mm, men. The bisexuality. Kind of, there's something about, you know, there's something about it there. And uh, yeah, as a middle school boy, I definitely uh, found something something very sort of uh, magnetic about being able to shoot so many arrows in a row into so many orcs. Um, Legolas's performance is like uh i'm about to come in with a hot take 
Oh yeah. Ahead. Okay. Well, um, take take it. I Let's I will it. only because it's it's relevant to this question. Orlando Bloom, good is my hot take. Um, I think Orlando Bloom is the, again a difficult brief. Mm-hmm. executed perfectly mm-hmm. which is the same thing he does in pirates of the caribbean which i think mm-hmm. he also does not get enough mm-hmm. credit for yeah. but he did not stumble into this mega popularity by accident like the meme of him saying things like oh the red sun rises blood has been spilt this night or like he's coming he's here you know yeah he it is i think deliberately a little fruity and juicy he <laughs> is selling it he is rendering the lines iconic <laughs> They're taking the hobbits to Isengard. He, a meme sprouted <laughs> from the the rhythm and like richness of his delivery. I I mean this in all sincerity. Orlando Bloom, good. I think he is like the parsley on the dish, where it's like maybe <laughs> you don't dish? fully yeah on the seder plate. Um, he's like the garnish on the meal, where it's like maybe you don't like full. It's not providing what the meat and the potatoes are bringing. You know what I mean? Like you need it. You need it for the presentation. Yeah. You need it for it to feel complete. Like Lord of the Rings without Orlando Bloom would not be Lord of the Rings. No. And so in that sense, like I really appreciate what he's bringing to the table, mm-hmm. even if it's objectively not like you know he's. It's not the stew. It's the. I mean, what do you mean objectively, Caroline? Orlando Bloom, good. <laughs> he the stew. <laughs> Yeah. Sub- subjectively, maybe he's the stew. I I kind of agree. Like he he he's a valuable part of the fellowship. He just does this like airy curiosity of elves. Well, mm-hmm. this like watchful aloofness. But like you know, compared to someone like you know Celeborn, it's like a it's like a very like um I don't know uh a beneficent aloofness. You know, he's like you just feel like he is trying to understand like. I really think they characterize elves as like they are total isolated weirdos who are just if you like you might miss this if it's your first watch but it's like they are not they don't spend a lot of time talking to these other people outside of their elf realm and it's always like a little bit like weird and tense for them but he's like he's you know he's doing a good job of that and I think like if you want to you know talk about like I don't know. I think it, it 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 like a really key part of this is that moment after Gandalf dies, um, and I think a line he says later in Lothlorien where he's like, "The wound is still fresh with me," but it's just like, mm-hmm. you know, as a, like an he processes. Yeah, he processes it. He's immortal, and he's like, "What? My friend has died." Mm. He just like like watching him like go through that is like very satisfying, and um, yeah. and I was thinking about this too with. With Aragorn, and we'll probably continue to talk about this, particularly in like the next film. But what you were talking, Zoe, about like like Vigo sleeping with his sword and everything, like the action is really part of the character in these movies. Mm. In a way where like mm-hmm. a lot of action movies now, even ones that I generally, you know, even Marvel movies, where it's like character, 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 and here comes our contractual action scene, and like my brain kind of like goes into like power save mode because like. <laughs> Sorry. It's just like uh it's just that like really you know it's happening. Yeah, but yeah. like in this like it's all one thing and the action is like it's so awesome and they perform it so well and it always feels like you know part of these characters. So like Legolas doing a lot of like these like fight scenes like those are those are telling us things about him, you know, the way he just like mm. jumps up on top of that troll and shoots it in the dome, you know. Like we're just those are those are part of the thing. And and because they do, I mean, I think he's CGI on top of the troll, but like, you know, the way he uses his bow, like that prop mm-hmm. is like, that's part of the character. And I think he does a good job with it. 
Yeah, and I think that idea of CGI is, like, key to the sort of alienness of elves that, like, Orlando Bloom did not have an arrow to fire. You know, they're all mm-hmm. fake. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to talk too much about it because it doesn't happen in this movie. But the the iconic uh, Legolas one-handed reverse onto <laughs> horse where they literally like – I'm like obsessed with an article about people trying to break this down and being like he clips his legs through – himself through the ground gimli the horse horse and the ground like this is like totally impossible and your brain knows that it's not right but somehow everything he does is just like elves though man sometimes you skateboard and shoot at the same time that's just elf stuff (laughs) i think it does add to that sort of like he on top of the snow he doesn't need to go under the snow he too light that's such a wild detail Uh, Yeah, wild detail. I like the idea that I actually feel like a credit to all the elf performers. You get the sense that, okay, the elves from Rivendell are like this. Mm -hmm. The elves from Lothlorien are like Mm -hmm. this. And we don't really see a lot of the elf. Like, Legolas is really only the Mirkwood elf that we see. But you feel like, yeah, he's different than the Rivendell elves and the Lothlorien elves. He's like a little bit more grounded. They're like, they feel like the more normal. Like, they're still weirdos because they're elves, but they feel like the most normal of the elves. And they're the ones that are kind of like vibing with the humans the most. And I think he's really projecting all of that in his performance. Mm-hmm. This is something that, while Ned has been doing the the halfling leaf has your clouded your mind line. Leaf. <laughs> I will not shut up about Legolas being a shit tier elf. That there is like a <laughs> yeah. a Tumblr like like um meme about Legolas and Gimli being together. That like what a mixed attractiveness pairing. But like actually, the headcanon is like Legolas is like. Absolute like bottom shelf, like ugly ass motherfucking elf. elf. He's like so ugly. That's why he has to hang out with humans. That's why he got sent as the emissary. Everyone's like, get that bitch out. And Gimli is like prince, like god tier. He's like from Uh like his cousin owns the mines of Moria. Like he's rich. And like they're just like star-crossed lovers of like Gimli's being like, ah, nay, I love him. <laughs> yeah. Ah. Incredible. Also, not to shit on Rings of Power, the TV show, which I have not watched a lot of, but kind of a lot of the discourse around that show has centered on why do the elves not feel elfy? Hmm. And short hair. Yeah, I think there's some of it that has to do with like the costuming, the CGI decisions. But I think also this is where Orly's like movie star charisma, not to keep circling back to that, but it comes in because he just pops. Mm-hmm. He just has this kind of like unique poppy quality. And that's fun and elfy. <laughs> I think it's natural for us now to talk about the Prince Charming of, of the Minds of Moria. <laughs> a mine. A mine. A mine. <laughs> yeah. Gimli. Gimli. Hit, hit me with your Gimli thoughts. Well, this is also tricky because you really have two actors at play here. You have mm-hmm. John Reese davies in the close-ups and you have Brett Beatty in everything else. Um, and I remember when I first heard like, essentially if it's not a close-up, John Reese davies isn't there. And it really blew my mind. That being said, when he is there, every, he really makes it count because mm-hmm. every Gimli line reading is iconic. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it is a... Uh... That is a weird, like, disjoint in the... That, like, he was the one who was just, like, out in the world with them all the time. What I don't know. What's you said? His name is Brett Beatty. Brett Beatty. He was, like, basically every single combat scene, any scene where the Fellowship were, like, walking around <laughs> being friends. Um, that being said, and I don't say that to, like, detract from what John Rhys-Davies does, because, again, I think it's an amazing performance, but... 
to shout out kind of the complexity of crafting a character like Gimli, where if you're directing, shooting, editing this, you are accommodating for two different performers who are mm-hmm. also within the performance, probably trying to communicate with each other on on what this guy moves like, what he sounds like, what he feels like, uh, taking that into the edit room, taking that into your final cut. It's an incredibly complex thing to do. Um, And well handled. I was going to say, and spoiler alert, it feels completely seamless, which is amazing. And also John Rhys-Davies apparently had like all kinds of allergies to his prosthetics and was like not having a good time and is the tallest member of the fellowship IRL. Mm -hmm. So it's amazing what they managed to accomplish um, with all of those different factors at play. And I love Gimli. Gimli also, I think, is an audience fave. He wins people over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I feel similarly to Legolas, where it's like he's a little bit more of the seasoning than the meal. But like the seasoning, again, you need it. And it's delightful whenever you get a little bite of it. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a tasty little bite is Gimli. You know, he like, <laughs> he like he, he also kind of holds down the comic relief in a huge way. He's like a little bit more broad, but I'd say in a very effective way. And yeah, I think, you know, as you say, like his line readings are are really, really vivid. He gets like, I think that he comes out with the thing ready to go. But like, really, like with these three, like fellowship bros, Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli, like spoiler alert, like I think the next movie is where like you yes. really, they like the yes. three of them really like sing together. That's their um, movie. Yeah. But he, he does a. Uh, he does a good job in this one. I feel like there will be more more of my favorite like Gimli moments will be in the we next We dwarves one. are natural sprinters, very yeah. dangerous over short distances. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. I do think it's important, though, that I had forgotten at the end of the fellowship that like these three dudes are not friends. Mm, They're yeah. not even mm-hmm. like they don't even know each other, really. Like yeah. these are three people who are sent as emissaries from very different cultures to like just get this ring to Mordor. And there's something great about seeing the three of them on the shores looking after Frodo and Sam being like, well, fuck, we are the three that happen to be here. This is not the best friends. Yeah. Yeah. You know, these are the three people who are like, okay, I mean, we're the only ones that that are left. And like, we have to continue to try and make this happen. I, I just think that's a good set up for what's going to happen in two towers as they become friends as Legolas and Gimli solve racism together like <laughs> to, to just like remember like they didn't start out that way mm-hmm. yeah I love it, it was that. bad it was a hard earn yeah. yeah and Gimli is it Gimli that says like then the fellowship is failed or the fellowship yeah. is yes. broken yeah. exactly and Aragorn mm-hmm. because he's the very best of us fuck no says, we're gonna not <laughs> while we still have life yeah. in us or something like that yeah 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 he's like while nope. we still draw breath and then yeah. they say, did we just become best friends? <laughs> yeah, yep. that's kind of the energy of that scene. They do. They have that amazing look. Emily, I'm so glad you brought that up because that also struck me on a rewatch. I was like, they barely speak to each other except to fight. And then yeah. they have that amazing look on the shore where Legolas is like, you in? And Gimli's like, ah. <laughs> Yeah. So we'll probably say more about Gimli. Based on that, let's talk about the, like, the last little piece of secret sauce in the Fellowship, which is Dear Boromir. Who I just love uh, that entire performance to like to follow up on what I just said about Aragorn being the best of us. Like I took a note where I was like, Boromir is an amazing cipher for humans in this, because if Aragorn is the best of us, Boromir is just us, you know, Mm -hmm. 100%. And keep in mind, like Aragorn's not human. Aragorn is a race of Dunedain. He he is like, he's old. He's not 
uh, you know, Arwen old, but he's not human either. And yeah, like, what is he like 180 yeah, something no, like that? No, Frodo's 50. Yeah. I think he's yeah. 180. But like Boromir, you're like, that is somebody with human blood coursing through his veins. He is like the heat in the fellowship always. You see him playing with the, the halflings. He's the one. Oh, man. This broke my whole fucking heart when at the end of the movie, Merry and Pippin draw swords, even though they think they're going to yeah. die against the Urukai. Boromir taught them how to do that. Yeah. He taught them because he loves the halflings and because he's like, he has that fucking like, you feel the beating heart of Boromir throughout this. And my hot take is that I think that actually like Boromir, the, uh, Sean Bean's performance is absolutely critical to this movie's success and therefore the launching of the fellowship you feel the reverberation of knowing that you watch someone get corrupted by the ring in real time to the point where he dies and you know mm-hmm. that it's coming you can feel the 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 like sort of rumblings of it but you also see this man who is like so moved by love of his kingdom that he is willing to like sacrifice everything right you see a man yeah. who like and his last moments fights to protect two beings who are weaker than he is. Like, you see all of the redemption in him and all of the heart in him. And, like, there is something, like, bloody and real about him that anchors all the fantasy bullshit around, like, a human peg. I, mm-hmm. Emily, 100%, and spoilers for perhaps later in the podcast, this is my favorite performance in the movie. I and agree. I didn't, I actually didn't even have to, like, think about it. Um, Same. And I think the, I want to really key into something you said, like, it lives in that moment for me where Aragorn's like, we, Gandalf's just died and Aragorn's like, we have to get the hobbits up because he's old and wise and he knows it sucks, but they have to keep moving. And Mm -hmm. Boromir's like, give them a fucking second, Mm -hmm. like, let them mourn. And I'm like, yeah, that's the man versus the Dunedain is like, it's that Boromir's operating from this emotional place and the generosity also of Boromir moving almost entirely on his own from this man is trying to take my kingdom to my captain, my king. And the fact that, as you say, that moment has to reverberate for the next three movies because that is what makes Aragorn decide to embrace his destiny and be king. It is Boromir. It is that moment together in the forest. And it's impeccably performed. It is the thing that gets me crying every time I watch it. And again, you go from long has my father kept uh, you know your land safe uh, to uh, to him fighting for people who are weaker than him without asking for a single note of praise. It's mm-hmm. I love Boromir. <laughs> I think it was the performance I appreciated the least when I was younger, and then the one I appreciated the most rewatching mm-hmm. it now. And I really like the scene. There's a scene in Lothlorien where it's. Boromir and Aragorn it's like probably Boromir's most vulnerable at least in the theatrical cut where he's just kind of like he's like I don't know it it, there's something modern about it he's just like yeah so like my dad's really powerful but uh he's not doing great and um I do feel quite a lot of pressure to like solve all of that that's pretty intense Uh, so hope it goes okay he like stumbles too he's like it it is the will of my Mm -hmm. father and I I I will see it done like you can't even get the words out It feel I think you're spot on, Ned, that it's like we are like we could only dream of being Boomer, honestly. Yes. Like uh, most of most people are not even yeah. like of course we would all immediately be corrupted by the <laughs> ring or tempted by it or whatever. Yeah. And the fact that he can go from 
Like, there's such a contrast between he kind of, like, attacks Frodo for the ring, and he's like, curse all of you, all the halflings, and then immediately is like, oh, no, and then that's when he goes in to, like, save Merry and Pippin, and then as he's dying, he's just like, they took the little ones. Oh, I know. And it's so sweet. And the thing that made me cry was Aragorn being like, no, no, like, you fought fought bravely, like, you kept your honor. And the idea that this is a world where it's just like, yeah, like, dying sucks but dying with your honor at least is still something and that he gets that moment to get it back in the end is like really poignant and lovely and keys into all of that like masculine vulnerability that we're talking about yeah he kind of has maybe like the richest arc in the whole film Mm -hmm. and that's not a that's not a gimme just based on the amount of material that he has because he doesn't really have like that much more than anybody else you know he's you know he's not the the lead character by any by any means but he's like he's just so impactful in his short time like as as we've all sort of been saying like he just it just reverberates to the whole thing and i think really like focuses your eye i feel like the trilogy overall like you've got all these other i mean everybody has like a fundamental i don't know i want to call it humanity except that like you know they're not in the in the world humans but like everyone all these characters have pathos but i do feel like tolkien is kind of like he does such an interesting thing with where the race of humans exists in this world, you know, yeah. from the very beginning of like the race of men who above all else desire power. And it's mm-hmm. like, I mean, that's an elfy, that's a little editorial elfiness there, <laughs> but like to be like, yeah, uh, the Nazgul are, we have them to deal with because like humans are super corruptible, but they're also like, they have this desire to like be active and do good. It just really feels like humans are like in the mix and like, all of our like Rohan people continue to kind of like pick that story up and like expand on it in the later films. Mm-hmm. But just Boromir just like Sean Bean, I think just knocks it out of the park, like starting that here and like kind of codifying like, you know, if you think about it, like he kind of like sets up with his like performance. And of course, like, you know, Peter Jackson, I think through everything we've been talking about is like, he's clearly got like the vision, like this whole thing wouldn't work if there wasn't a clear vision. Mm-hmm. But like you learn through Boromir, like, this is what humans are like in this world. And these are the kind of issues they are grappling with. And they're just so dramatic and rich. And he chews up his lines really well. And he looks yeah. at the ring and you're like, oh, no, he's going to do it. <laughs> oh, I mean, good. again, he became a, the, uh, the uh, second most famous line in this whole movie. If yeah. it's not, you shall not pass. It's one does not simply. Yeah. Um, because, Walk into what, again, visual medium. We all <laughs> just did. <laughs> we all did the little Our lovely little okay <laughs> gesture. Yeah. It's a great eye. I'm as ever watchful. Yeah. It is folly. <laughs> Not with the hundred men could you do this. <laughs> it is folly. Um, like every line he says, as you say, it's chewy and delicious. And at the Prince Charles screening, like he did that line and everyone freaking cheered. Like as they should. <laughs> but Ned Key, into what you said, if one of the huge thematic arcs of this whole series is the rise of the race of men. And if you want to talk about, you know, Tolkien's passion for this is like a post-war narrative and the idea of like men coming into this kind of green and pleasant rebirth, like it starts with Boromir. And I think it's not a coincidence that my, all my favorite performances in the series by and large are men. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't mean men in the sense of like male presenting gender, (laughs) although alas, I probably do in this series. (laughs) But yeah. they are they are from the race of men, and it's because they mm-hmm. are grappling with this very human issue of overcoming collective trauma that is not not of their own making to emerge on the other side of that. And like, no matter what your life looks like, that is a relatable 
narrative that is mm-hmm. something you can key into. And one thing I really love about Sean Bean's performance is he doesn't shy away from the ugliness of that. Boromir is is scary and unpleasant, mm-hmm. and he's also kind, and he's also mm-hmm. brave. Mm-hmm. And all those colors are on his palette. And also a little pathetic yeah. in the one part where he goes, Frodo? Frodo! Frodo! <laughs> Leaves in his bangs. It's, yeah. yeah, it's, it feels very real. I love the little scene where he's teaching Merry and Pippin to fight and like Aragorn's kind of laughing at them. Like what a little, for as long as this movie is, like even the theatrical cut is three hours, it also feels so economical yeah. in its storytelling. Mm-hmm. Like you can say, okay, here's one little five second scene of them all goofing around and that sells you on the friendship of it. Or here's this one second moment of Boromir being pathetic and that sells you on that arc like it's really impressive how much the movie gets across in like these really small beats yeah. that it has yeah. Boromir and Aragorn are my other ship by the way I just think yeah they're really they're good magic together. together when he says the the little speech also shout out because I won't be here in later episodes shout out to the Gondor theme and the Rohan themes which are maybe my favorite mm. themes <sighs> that little sting of the Gondor theme when mm. Boromir first appears in the council mm. and then also when he has that that intimate post-funeral scene. Cannot recommend Doug Adams' book on the music of Lord of the Rings enough. Like, if you love to dive deep on shit like this, it is so rich. Like, every single, Mm -hmm. like, fifth harmony descending chord, you're like, damn. Mm -hmm. Howard Shore, (laughs) you did it again, you motherfucker. (laughs) Just second that, like, if I... that is a topic if, like, we had a different podcast and I had the knowledge, which I don't, that I yeah. truly just feel like I could go on and on and on and on and on and on about because it's, like, it's – the amount of thought that went into it is literally staggering. There is a podcast that I love. Um, I think it's called The Soundtrack Show, and he does mm-hmm. a, like, 10-part series on <gasps> the music of Lord of the Rings. So basically, oh, we're going to get the Doug Adams damn. book. Yeah, Christmas show. is coming. If you have a Lord of the Rings nerd in your life, get them the DVD commentary box sets and the music of Lord of the Rings book, and you will never see them again. I'm looking at the soundtrack <laughs> show. I'm going to try to find that on, on my podcast and get that soon. But Also yeah. comedy, they have a cave troll. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that line, which I associate now that sort of comedy with the um, – which Star Wars is it? Where they're like, they fly now? They fly no, now. No, it's better. You know it's I mean? be- are that- you not compare Fellowship of the Ring to the Rise of Skywalker? <laughs> Caroline! <laughs> no, but I'm saying like, I feel like actually that style of humor is they have a cave troll. Like yes. that is the yes. same style of humor as it's that joke. And actually did Marvel. jar me a little yeah. bit of, yes, exactly. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot that they did this every once in a while in this movie. There is this little like modern touch and I feel like they have well, a cave troll. And, is... and it comes from the human, which is, a, it feels like a correct choice. It's not, everyone is not a quip monster. One guy sure. makes a little human joke sometimes. They have a cave troll. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I would, I don't know if I would defend that line as my favorite. <laughs> it, it did kind of stick out to me as like, oh yeah, they were, they did this every once in a while. I was just going to say, if they did this trailer, if someone cut a trailer for a fellowship today, yeah. that would be the post, <laughs> the last little like zing to take us out. I would say, I wouldn't defend the line. I would defend the performance of that line, I think. Sure, sure. <laughs> I want to close out our, our look at the main ensemble with two elves, Elrond and Galadriel. Mm, eyebrows and no eyebrows. <laughs> That's yeah. right. The two kinds of elves. Eyebrows, yeah. eyebrows for days. And no eyebrows at all. Uh, let's start. Let's start, let's start with Elrond. Let's talk about Hugo Weaving. That's kind of what I was yeah. feeling too. Hugo Weaving. I sometimes I go back and forth. I'm like, like I can't unsee the Hugo Weaving of him. You know, like from mm. that from the beginning of that movie, Mister. I was Anderson. like, hey, look, it's Agent Smith with very long hair. 
but he like he's got good line deliveries and he does a he does a good job of like he just does he he sells a lot of the like the elves role in the society by conveying this like Mm -hmm. very pragmatic coldness of an elf Mm -hmm. who's like seen some shit where he's like yeah you know what I think it's cool that you believe that like other races will help us. I was there when Isildur didn't throw the ring. I was there. (laughs) I was there. Yeah. Um, I wonder if I could find the little meme of uh, where it's a little bop it and it goes like bop it, flick it, and then Elrond going destroy it. (laughs) And Isildur goes no. That's an iconic. By the way, shout out to the actor I do not know who plays Isildur who whose line reading of. No. <laughs> it is really yeah. good. I hadn't thought of it, but as soon as you just said that, it is very... Yeah. That is one of my best friend and I's little, like, as you said, the little in-jokes and memes you develop over yeah. years. One of ours is just holding something out to each other and then going, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think maybe I will add a little, like, after Elrond and Galadriel, we can talk a little about, like, various randos, like, quick shout-outs. But, um, mm. Proud but- feet. <laughs> Proud feet. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Elrond Elrond runs a little bit like weirdly hot or cold. Yeah. Like I mm-hmm. it's sometimes he is just like the biggest jerk. Yeah. Like and then sometimes he's like, Oh Sam, how charming that you spied on our council. Why don't you come along? And this is even more confused by the fact that in the Rings of Power new Amazon TV show, Elrond is one of the main characters and like night and day performance from this one. I guess like building up to whatever the more closed off Elrond, but he's like friendly Elrond. Mm. And it has added to my confusion of like, I don't know if I ever fully get a grasp. Like I think in each individual scene, Elrond is serving a clear point. Mm -hmm. But when I add them all up, I'm like, I don't know if I fully understand what this guy's deal is. It does feel like a performance that like, because it's so tertiary, I get the feeling that like, Hugo Weaving probably shot like four times as much material. And so was probably like, well, this, like, I mean, I mean, I don't presume to understand what Hugo Weaving was thinking, but I would be like, <laughs> oh, well, like something's going to hang together here. You know, sure. like, uh, th- I've said enough exposition and lore that like uh, maybe some of these emotions are going to like hang better. And as New Line was like, hey, P.S., you can't do a four hour movie, cut an hour out. They were like, we got to take out some of the Elrond backstory here. And so we end up just getting him being like, I'm cold, but now I love my mm-hmm. daughter, but now I'm mm-hmm. so mad. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I agree that it, unfortunately he does have a little bit more of the like plot point conveyance as opposed to some yes. other people who get to like have quiet moments and just like be filmed thinking like Elrond just kind of yeah. has to like, I need yeah. you to get this piece of information. All right. Bye. I think Return of the King is his best movie because we finally get some light introspection because of the whole added like Arduin is dying subplot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I agree, I, I this is the performance when I was a kid where I was like, "What is this? This isn't my <laughs> hashtag not my Elrond." And I've I've really come around on a lot of it. I um I think there are there are scenes where it's like. Uh, among my favorite performances in the scene as you say like scene to scene strength Mm -hmm. but emily i really love what you said about we he is not a character with whom we get those private moments and that that really impacts um how much we can kind of empathize with and feel close to him which isn't the only mark of a performance but Mm -hmm. does feel like something that would have been helpful with a character who does have all these shades playing around inside him but I think he's striking, right? He, oh, like, incredibly has right striking. Look. He has the right energy. He's like totally serving the movie, but I don't know if yeah. 
And maybe that's what you get by casting Hugo yeah. Weaving. Like the quality you're describing, Ned, of like, oh, he's kind of standing out. It's like, yeah, he's standing out some more than if this had been like a no-name actor we weren't familiar with. Maybe it would have faded into the background more. But it's like, yeah, Elrond feels like he's a Elrond. Presence. The Council of Elrond is his council. You know? Yeah, he that's should, him. That's he should council. stand as a signpost at that point in the film, you know. Yeah. But- now yeah. I feel bad. I feel like I he is like one of my most oft-quoted performances. I'm like, am I selling him short? Well, I think <laughs> his, his line deliveries are like really good. Although the one yeah. that stuck out weird to me this time is, our list of allies is growing thin. I mean, he gave us the threat of Mordor. What of you? <laughs> it's funny that there is like, this is actually my biggest problem with the short hair elves in um, Rings of Power, but like, there's a very thin line between an elf and a Vulcan. Mm. And I feel like if you're cast to play either, like you really have to be careful He's about such like, a Vulcan. how much am I cold off? Yeah. Yeah. Am I closed off and cold and logical? How much am I like ethereal? Like it's a real battle. And he probably is leaning the most Vulcan of yes. big, them all. Big Spock energy for yes. sure. Yeah. But how about Galadriel? How about that? Uh, how about Kate Blanchett? It's perfect. It's a okay. perfect performance. It is perfect. basically Can perfect. Can you guys remind me? I'm not losing my mind that this is the biggest chunk she's in any of these movies. Yes, right. And they found like excuses to put her in the later movies. Be- like what what I could not believe. I'm like, this woman is in this movie for 10 minutes and is like one of the most five iconic yeah. things about yeah. this entire That's how good she is. To the point where they, yeah. yeah, it's like remarkable how little she is in it compared to how impactful it is to the point where they bring her back for so many of the Hobbit movies. And then they're like, let's build the entire Rings of Power show around this character that like we all consider to be formative Mm -hmm. to this series but if you actually clock the time it's like she has two scenes or something like it's crazy how great she is extended but it's okay (laughs) yeah but did we need those scenes i you know i would wonder some would ask um, she gives gifts to everybody whatever I like the. I actually do wish they. I will say, I'm not standing extended editions. I'm really not, but I like the gift scene and I like the uh, chance for Faramir, Captain of Gondor, to prove his quality scene. Those are the two Mm -hmm. I like. Totally. I was just going to say about the gift scene, one of the things I love so much is Gimli's love of Galadriel. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about a a deepening of character. Yes, the hair scene, which is like. Explain this for people who haven't seen it. Yes. Sorry, it's an extended shot where um, the fellowship's all being like, so what did Galadriel, Santa Galadriel give to you? And <laughs> Gimli's basically like, I asked for one hair off her golden head. Um, and someone's like, did she give it to you? And he's like, she gave me three. That and chunk, it's, yeah. just that chunk I think is in the theatrical, but him actually getting the hairs in the extended, I believe. I don't oh, think I that's true. I don't, I don't, oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is, because I in, only watched the in theatrical. theatrical. In theatrical, the only gift we see given is the yes. light of Erendil. Yeah. May it be a light when all other lights have failed. We don't see it being given, but we see Gimli in the canoe, and he says... Zoe, I'm telling you, girl, I no, swear it's not the hair. I watched it last week. Yeah, I watched it this morning. It's in the theatrical. It's it's all it is is Gimli in the canoe saying, I asked for one hair from her golden head. She gave me three. Zoe. It's one in of the us theatrical. Is right, Zoe, I watched it last week. It's not. <laughs> Roll calling listeners. Vote, <laughs> <laughs> vote on Twitter. Text now. Don't watch the movie. Just vote with <laughs> your vote. heart. Yeah, this is a this is a Bernstein bear. Give us your yeah, bear, it is a mint yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of In this is opinion. to say, yeah. like, it's such a good deepening of both of their characters. Actually, that Gimli, like, although he has this distrust of elves, sees truly one of the most beautiful, iconic women of all time, and is like, "Oh damn, I yeah. have never seen a being this magical." And Galadriel to be like, 
I can grant this for you. Like, I'm so, mm-hmm. like, touched that you would do that. I don't know. There's something lovely about that. And, uh, like, as much as Elrond has warm moments, Galadriel has, like, almost none. This is yeah. one of the stillest, coldest performances mm-hmm. in the film. And I love that for her. It is yeah. crazy, Caroline, what you're talking about, which is, like, wow, we decided this one was the one we wanted to put a billion-dollar TV show around. Kate Blanchett is doing incredible work while seemingly giving herself the own handicap of being like, what if I never moved my face? (laughs) (laughs) Like, incredible. Well, there's such a dichotomy between her being like the most powerful, like the potential to be the most terrifying, powerful force in the world. Mm -hmm. Like if she went bad, you feel like it would be worse than Yeah, you would have a queen. But then, yeah. But then also she's like the kindest, warmest, sweetest, like – ethereal lady and the fact that she is both i think makes her so interesting well and i think was we were what we were saying about elrond's performance is that that doesn't always cohere for us and this Mm. performance is a huge swing because emily as you said she's so cold and intense and then again yeah this warmth is there and they both feel like the same person again within five minutes of screen time it's really Mm -hmm. amazing yeah she's doing like She's doing like fantasy genre stuff in a way. Like I, I don't yeah. know how to describe. Like she is not playing this like any person you would meet. Like just there's what no she, realism. What she does with her voice is not naturalistic. It's kind of like what Ian McKellen, or like, even more like what I'd say like Christopher Lee is doing, where it's like it mm-hmm. just feels kind of like of this different genre, but it totally, totally works. Like literally, if she was only just like the narrator of the prologue, I still think she would be like an impactful part of this movie. Um, but then seeing her in her whole like Lothlorien sequence is like so fun and interesting and just like charged. And this was another thing where it was cool watching it with first timers because they're like, "Oh, she's bad. This is the bad guy. Yeah. She's like revealed herself. She's like the she's like the like the White Queen from Narnia." And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and like eventually, like that is borne out not to be the case. But like she's she's so high status and powerful. And yeah, she just like packs that in again with like the most like economic reserved and also stylized Mm -hmm. performance. So yeah, I think it's really, it's really good. (laughs) She gets a lot of mileage. Can I say something about Kate Blanchett generally? Uh Uh-huh. Of course. Um, So I have this, I'm going to close the Prime video that I was uh, scrubbing through to see (laughs) if I was right. I, uh, I really have this whole bugbear about how women are not allowed to give like muscular chancy performances on film in a way that men are allowed to like you don't get women getting to yell i abandoned my child you know you don't get that kind of risk-taking muscularity because and so often instead women's performances and i'm again gender being used loosely here um but in terms of like traditional screen representations of those genders um women are referred to as luminous and radiant and men are you know uh, we all love christian bale here like are allowed to give these like sweaty complex performances Mm -hmm. and kate blanchett very much said fuck that (laughs) and almost exclusively gives like deeply muscular interesting theatrical non-realistic quote-unquote performances i think all the time of the moment in carol where she turns to kyle chandler and goes you know we are not ugly people hodge like every performance (laughs) has a voice every performance has Mm -hmm. a strong physicality her eyes blaze through the camera there is nothing luminous she is luminous she is radiant whatever Uh 
because they light her like that. But also, yeah, but there's nothing of that in her performance. And I think she is partially left to that because she is this like blonde, blue eyed, thin woman and is therefore given that privilege in the same way. I think like Charlize Theron is another person I would point to. Yes. And it is because she is this blonde haired, blue eyed, tall woman. And but I so appreciate whenever I see Blanchett on screen because she just takes the scenery around her and eats it so unapologetically and it's thrilling. And I love her. Go see Tar. <laughs> and go watch Rings of Power for a very different uh yeah. interpretation from Ned's beloved uh Morphid. I should say also my beloved Galadriel. Uh Saint Maud <laughs> and yeah. Zoe's beloved. Saint Maud is a fantastic movie with also I would say a very like muscular interesting performance um Mm -hmm. but yeah and again i want to emphasize like this is a a privileged position she is in but man does she make the most of it Mm -hmm. can we take a moment to shout out some other randos in the ensemble figwit (laughs) frodo is great who's that explain figwit explain figwit yeah i I will i stole Um, i stole the the spot there but please no as you should have um figwit is brett mckenzie from flight of the concords um at the climax of the council of elrond when frodo says i will take the ring it cuts to a wide you can see him kind of a little bit before this moment but this is your first full glimpse of a beautiful very ethereal looking elf uh who looks at frodo like whoa and he was so i guess beautiful and ethereal that he spawned a tumbler called frodo is great who is that (laughs) trying to figure out the identity of of this elf he was then named figwit and it emerged that he was Brian <laughs> McKenzie. Um, it was such a meme that Peter Jackson brought him back in reshoots for the third movie and gave him some lines, which are, Lady Arwen, we cannot delay. Lady Arwen. Um, and yeah, he went on to write the music for the Muppets and be one half of the band Flight of the Concords. This is just a great reminder for all of you listeners to wear your sunscreen, drink <laughs> enough water, uh, get periodic facials and you too one day could become known for how beautiful your skin is and get a walk-on role in the third movie of a trilogy <laughs> beautiful skin across the board in this oh movie. my god i was thinking that yeah. about elijah wood i was like oh this is my, my ideal complexion just like a little pale baby yeah shout out to <laughs> with this porcelain skin shout out to andrew lesney the cinematographer who makes everyone look lit from within mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i this is less of a performance thing than just a world building thing but i love all the little kid hobbits and the way jackson takes the time to sort of like anchor in their perspective and like they're his kids a lot of them are peter jackson's kids a lot of them two of them it's, <laughs> at least 13 of those <laughs> many kids children <laughs> they're just so it's so cute and it really just adds to the sweetness of hobbiton and and the shire and the cute moment where they're so disappointed gandalf doesn't set off the fireworks and then he's like oh of course i'll set off the fireworks for you like it's just so sweet and again like raises the stakes in an almost like subtextual way scowling hobbit he's good shout out Mm to uh um i may mispronounce his name but lawrence makoare uh the guy who plays lurts and just really to everybody Mm -hmm. who uh wears the prosthetics and is like an orc an uruk or a goblin like through the whole trilogy like they are basically freaking awesome and maybe we'll talk more about them in the second one because you get i was just gonna say the helms deep bts stuff is incredible what those guys did and went through to make that happen they're some of the best stunt performers of all time and it's yeah yeah shout out Yeah, all the orcs, goblins, and orakai are just like they're just they they, they just uh, are just knocking out of the park and like they could be Why a lot more. Why can't we get some mate? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm dying to talk about those three. 
Shout out to the Balrog and his committed performance. <laughs> probably somebody. Balrog. Iconic. Probably, probably somebody motion capturing. No one has ever done it like him, you know? The best, I mean, really the best on-screen Balrog we've ever we've seen. seen. <laughs> I, I so feel far, confident I say, a pioneer in the field. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to touch on him only for a teeny second because we're going to come back and talk to him in great detail. But uh, Andy Serkis got that Gollum voice ready to go. Mm, Fresh yeah. out the gate. Mm. We don't have the character design yet. We don't have. We don't know what Gollum's gonna look like. We only get him in a wide, and he definitely changes over time. But man, <laughs> you ready? But, Let me get his uh, little fingies. Yeah, his little fingies. Yeah, his fingies. Yeah. Oh, I want to say this. Uh, Andy Circus also is um, give up the halfling she elf. That's Andy Circus. Oh. Yeah, and then oh. but the scream of the Nazgul is I am once again such a jerk. I can't remember if it's Fran Walsh or Philippa Boyens. I think it's Fran Walsh. Yeah, which is incredible. They were like, we can't find the sound, and she was like, ah. <laughs> the ring rays also are so scary. Yeah, like really Nazgul. They freaked me out as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're young. awesome. And still do. Yeah, Andy Serkis. Great oh, design. Andy Serkis is also back in Shire. I think he also does. Some of the ring voice. I think one of the things we've touched on throughout talking about the fellowship, especially our differently sized friends and folks who don't get enough. Hashtag why aren't we talking about this more is just all of the size doubles that are so present on screen. We are like, I'd say like majority time looking at someone who is not the like people. And we don't talk about Gimli's fight double. We don't talk about Gandalf's seven foot tall double. We don't talk about this crew for the hobbits of as well. hobbits yeah. that are doing these physical beats. And, and frankly, like a lot of the humans are acting against them. Yeah. And I would mm-hmm. be so, I would be so curious to know more about these actors' journeys and and what their experience was on these films because I mean it's not possible without them. It's just yeah. not. And so often I'm like. Who are the? I'm literally looking at someone who is not Elijah Wood on screen right now, and I don't know what this person's thinking. There's incredible yeah, stuff so. on some of, on particularly the Hobbit doubles on the extended features. But I, I think a lot of it is on YouTube now, which is like wonderful to make it more accessible. But yeah, every time I make a movie or have a friend on a movie, I'm like the stand-ins do so much, and like yeah. stand-in is not even the right term for what they're doing in this context. Um, it's so much more than that. Yeah. Um, I want to shout out, we have some nice hobbit-sized rooms, little masters. <laughs> I was thinking about that guy. <laughs> little masters. Little masters. Yeah. Gandalf the Grey, big fella, bush of non-pointy <laughs> beard. Yeah. Um, I do think, Ned, what you said about Scowling Hobbit, biggest ratio of laughs per screen time of any actor in, in the world. <laughs> <laughs> That's real. Like an That's icon real. in a moment of screen time. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's now hot take o'clock. I require one hot take from each of you. Oh, my God. I wasn't prepared for this. I did put it in my email. My <laughs> hot take. I know, but I didn't know it was going to be required. No, it it's not required. It's not required. Position. No, that just came up. No, it's a volunteer Does position. Does it have that to just be a up. fellowship <gasps> specific? I didn't have a piece of trivia. Does it have to be fellowship specific? No. No. You may do a broader Lord of the Rings. I am ready. Hot take. It also doesn't have to be anything you can pass. No, no you can't. You, no, we, we have to. I have you shall ready. not pass. All right, never mind. You shall not pass. Uh, Emily, please. It's locked and loaded. It is. I I know I've been a a staunch defender of the extended cut, but what I will say is anytime Viggo Mortensen is allowed to sing, it is cringy. Mm. He should not. I I draw the line at writing sappy poetry 
and I find him like crooning in his fucking boy music, like, <laughs> like actually a little bit too Wonderwall for mm. me. I hear it. Fair. I love him and I hear it. <laughs> Again, another case for the theatricals being superior. superior. No, thank you. <laughs> My hot take is that the energy between Frodo and Galadriel is extremely erotically charged. <laughs> Ooh, I hear that too. Wow. There's much, much to, you know, there's much discussion in the world of like, you know, these two shipping, these two shipping, you know, Frodo and Sam, blah, blah, blah. But I think that like, it starts with like, everyone's asleep and he like, she like lets him see her walking. She's like, you're going to follow me? And he like, he gets mm. up and he kind of follows her around Lothlorien. And then I just think they have this kind of like, I don't know, like Dom sub energy when he says like, if you ask it of me, I will give it you. Yeah. I just, that just hit me on, I think, my, the first of my three viewings this year, and I can't, I can't shake it out of my head. Setting the stage for the elf dwarf unrequited love subplot in the Hobbit oh, trilogy yeah. films, I would say. <laughs> a, again, a pioneer in the subgenre. Inter- interspecies. Exactly. Uh, Ill advised. My hot take is that I think the last 30 minutes of this movie, from when they sort of like pull over the boats and they're like, okay, we'll go to Mordor tomorrow and then. We get the battles and Boromir's death in the final scene. I actually think, though, though it is far simpler, I think the last 30 minutes of this movie are as satisfying as the Helm's Deep battle. And I would happily mm. watch them in the same way I would happily rewatch Helm's Deep. I will just rewatch the, the last 30 minutes of this movie like Oh, wow. Forever. I emotionally couldn't do that, actually. It's too much. It's, it's I too find much. It's so satisfying. It's, it is. It yeah, is. It's like too much, but then it's perfect, Aragorn but... says, let's hunt some more. And you're like, Fuck yeah, and then it leaves you on a high note. Yeah, by then I'm dehydrated, though, because the tears have left my face. <laughs> tears, that's right. I do think, in addition to what Zoe has cited as the um, so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide line, being like a high point of this movie, which I think it is. I'm like just very influential quote in my life, I would say. I also, the part where Aragorn says like, I would have gone with you to the end, to the very fires of Mordor. Like that to me is the line of mm-hmm. this movie. I think it's such a great and understated example of what Aragorn, what makes Aragorn so special, which is this like quiet understanding of everything around him. Like we don't need to sit and explain what's happening. Like I get what's happening in your mind and I will be on board with it because I understand that's the best way to support you now. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think that's really special, a special moment for, a, you know, this is like the only time we see a lot of these fellowship characters together. Like they really, the rest of the movie, they're all separated. Yeah. And so I really think you need the little moments in this movie to sell us on so many of those relationships and dynamics that we're going to be like, yeah, by the third movie where they haven't interacted in hours, we believe that Aragorn is like, I am doing this for, for Frodo, Frodo, right? Yeah. Like we need that little moment to solidify that. And I think that this movie, for as much as it feels like just an intro to the world, like it's so, it's that formative like structure you need for the rest of the movies to stand on. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I hadn't even thought about that moment and the four Frodo resonance, but yeah, oh, my heart. Yeah. How do you do it? I'm like already on the verge of tears. Um, my, I'll say two things. Because, of course, I will. One is, as Ned knows, my single favorite performance in the whole trilogy. Ned, would you like to to do the reveal? I'm going to... I am only 95% sure that it's Grima Wormtongue. It's Grima Wormtongue. Um, and <laughs> wow. it's, it's not even a question in my mind. It's a perfect performance. Wow. I could... 
if my life depended on it, I could do all these movies without the adrenaline of my life depending on it. I could talk through every single Grima Worm tongue scene from beginning to end. <laughs> mm-hmm. Brad Dorif, I think, is also one of our most like underrated actors. Uh, mm. I don't know if anyone here watches Deadwood, but he's spectacular on that show. Mm. He is constantly batting a hundreds and like... If he shows up, I know I'm about to see like an incredible piece of work, and that's a thrilling feeling. Um, my second favorite performance is also in Two Towers, and it's Bernard Hill as Theoden King. Mm-hmm. It's cannot wait to get into I, those two. I used to say Two Towers was my favorite film. I think actually Fellowship is my favorite film, but Rohan and everything around Rohan is my favorite thing in the movies. Mm-hmm. Where was God? Yeah. Yeah, it's not infrequent. Also, Zoe, that you or I will like text the other one like, "Oh, but you are are alone." (laughs) Who knows what you've whispered? Yeah, my other one is I. Whenever someone asks me a question and I'm in a mood, I'll say, "Why do you lay these troubles on an already (laughs) troubled mind?" (laughs) Literally everything he says. I'm gonna hold back my grooming. Yeah, yeah, we'll 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 wait. My line that I feel like encapsulates, or that I just mentally say a lot, is when Galadriel's like, "I will diminish and go into the west." (laughs) There's definitely days where I'm like, sometimes? it's time for me to diminish and go into the West. Listen, there's also no bad time to go whoremongering. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the, the last thing I'll say on my theatrical extended, because I feel the need to justify myself. Uh-huh, mm-hmm. you want to jump in, yeah. I, I don't actually hate the extended cuts. I think they're very joyful as a fan to get to see that material. I do think the theatrical cuts... Oh, I, and I will say, I hate when people call them the director's cuts. They're not the director's cuts. Mm. Peter Jackson has said that. He's like, my cuts are what you see in the theater. And because of that, I'm like, the theatrical cuts are ultimately the vision for that was intended for these movies. They flow the mm-hmm. best. They're the best way to get someone into it. When you add the chonkers on, they're joyful, but it is appendages. It's it's like reading a book with the appendages inserted. And mm-hmm. that can be a great experience, but it's not how I would introduce people to the movies. And that's my take. <laughs> that being said, it is weird when later Faramir very ominously goes, a chance for Faramir, captain of Gondor, to show his quality. And you're like, you're referencing something. <laughs> we didn't see it. Um, and I do think Faramir, I, this is also a later take, I think Faramir is the character who suffers from scenes being cut. I think that character is oh is God. not coherent. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And now for the last segment, it's something Caroline proposed, but which I love because I love when we have to choose and give awards to things. I'd like to force everyone to make an impossible choice, although it may not be an impossible choice, <laughs> and choose uh, their single favorite performance from Fellowship in particular. Would anyone like to start us off? Yeah, I mean, it's seen Bean. Scene B. <laughs> scene cool. Bean. Cool. Genre King. He should have gotten an Oscar for this. I stand by that. I've looked up who the other nominees were that year and I... For supporting? Yeah, yeah and I'll, I'm giving it to Scene Bean. Mm. Here's what I'll say about Scene Bean. Um, as a fellow oldest child, like, the generational trauma of of this, like, really resonates. You know what I'm saying? I like, do. Like, this is a dude stuck in some fucking hard-ass situations. He's got a very sensitive little brother who just, like, has a huge chip <laughs> on his shoulder about not measuring up and, like, makes that Boromir's problem. He's got a parent who's a little overbearing, <laughs> like, you know, making some bad calls, but, like, where does the authority lie? He's also, like... Frankly, like, he's always kind of been the smartest, best, hottest of the guard. And now he's going to the fellowship where everybody's smart, best, yeah. and hot. Like, it's a I real get you peaked it, in King. high school and now you have to go to. Yeah. Or even just college. being like, well, yeah, I went to an intense college and, like, what the fuck? Why? 
the fucking heir to the Gondorian throne is here? That's a <laughs> yeah. lot. So, yeah, I think that it's hard not to love. <laughs> we we stan a, a, a damaged oldest sibling king. And, yeah, I think that this it's easy in a fantasy movie to get so divorced from reality that you stop having stakes of humanity. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're in any way in danger of that in a film that has Elijah Wood's big blue eyes to anchor mm-hmm. us. But I do think that Sean Bean's performance is, like, so evocative and, like, an audience cipher that honestly is repulsive when you're like it, it almost feels like you see too much of, of mm-hmm. yourself in it and you're like ah oh, shit and I think that that's a really useful perspective yeah he also I want to add one more thing which is I remembered he has to say the line what is this new devilry and he does so <laughs> with such panache <gasps> oh they have a cave troll I um, if you guys picked the performance that should have been nominated for an Oscar, I'm just gonna go with the one that was, which is Ian McKellen. Yeah. I think that that was the revelation on this rewatch was just like how much I think this is a Gandalf movie in the way that I think The Phantom Menace is a Qui Gon movie, and that even if it doesn't really make sense plot wise, that that's kind of like how we're starting off the trilogy. It also sort of makes sense emotionally, and I feel like. Gandalf being this like central premise here and so much of the movie being about his this burden he has of discovery in the ring but how much he's just trying to be this warm presence for Mm. everyone in his life is so great and like freaking how many people could just be a fully committed goofy ass wizard and like not make it embarrassing like it's so good it's insane and giving this on the back of his magneto performance where he's the best campiest villain like i mean i know that sir ian mckellen is very well appreciated but we really Mm -hmm. cannot appreciate enough how great he is um ricky Mm -hmm. gervais is a transphobic asshole and i would not generally recommend his material but for sheer ian mckellen goodness if you haven't seen his appearance on the tv Mm -hmm. show extras i uh, YouTube it. How do I know what to say? Well, it's written down. <laughs> it's hysterical. It's very good. Also, again, watch the the cast reunion from Quarantine where somebody brings up the turn. They're like, oh, yeah, uh, John Rice Davies always had this easy boy recliner. And McKellen just goes, easy boy recliner. That's a good nickname for Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> wow. The funniest, most with it, like, just all just love him just we love uh, sir ian emily is is scene being officially your were you co-signing for lord of the film i will co-sign yeah i'll okay. co-sign i think that i would also co-sign ian mckellen Ooh. um i think that he is truly the lord of the film for me but since we have mentioned him i think i just want to shout out that my honorable mention is going to be ian holm as bilbo i just oh, like good honorable mention yeah. he just gets at me there's just so much going on and he just tells a very interesting story all in the setting of the Shire through a lot of very subtle work and is really charming and funny while he does it. So that's my honorable mensch. I'm so glad you said that because those are uh, these are the three performances that if I were allowed to pick multiple, I would pick. And also I think about butter spread over too much bed, bread every day of my life. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. And then I think, hmm, I could go for some butter <laughs> on some bread. <laughs> Just tea, thank you. Just tea, thank you. Oh! oh! <laughs> <laughs> and that will conclude today's uh, discussion, uh, today's tight little Lord of the Rings discussion. Um, I but- think we might have just gotten in under the theatrical cut runtime. Come on, baby. 
We certainly made it under the Should extended Should we keep discussing edition. this and pad the length? <laughs> yeah. But uh, so, yeah, that's that's going to wrap us up for today. But uh, like Frodo and Sam staring at the craggy hills of Emmon Wheel before them, our journey has just begun. We will continue with the two towers, for which we will again be joined by a very fun guest. But before that, we want to thank both of today's guests for joining us on the first leg of our journey. Thank you so much, Zoe and Emily, for your wonderful insights and fandom and just general uh love and positivity here. for aragorn that too listen i would have gone with you both to the end you know <laughs> i gotta say i heard you were doing this and i was like well i don't want to be too thirsty hopefully they'll ask me i don't know what to do i can't put myself out there more than i have and i was sitting i was waiting there i listened to the the letterbox episode great episode i'm sitting there like okay so they're doing it soon haven't heard from them that's cool i get a dm a couple days ago from ned that's like Hey, have you have you been getting texts on your American number? And I'm like, thank fucking God. I was about to blow a gasket. I would not have taken it personally, but I would have exploded and I would have thrown myself, you know, uh, onto my bed in despair. Um, and I luckily... You heard the horn of Gondor at the last second yeah. calling you. I so, Also, that breaks my heart, by the way, him blowing the horn to no response. Um, but yes, I, yeah, I, I we gosh. resolved the issue and I was so happy to be here. It was an, an absolute pleasure. Thank you for being our, I don't know if you guys are Elrons or Galadriels or Boromir, someone who really are, you're shining in our first installment, but you, your presence will be felt throughout the rest of our podcast series. Oh, I was going to say they're like our Merry and Pippin and now we just have to keep going and they're <laughs> sure, going off we have to go journey. rescue them. Well, no, we're, we're Frodo <laughs> and, and Sam. Yeah, Zoe and I are going to... They're just going... We're continuing on straight to Mordor and they're going off for other adventures. We're going to go do some hijinks with some big trees. And the four of us are (laughs) are generally uh, four little uh, knucklehead hobbits. So, yeah. Anything to plug, uh, you hobbits? Yeah, where can people follow you or find you? Uh, You can find me on all socials at Captain Maltby. Um, And I generally post about goings on there. I'm on Letterboxd. I don't know what my name is there, but, uh, you know, my top four <laughs> movies are The Nightingale, Crimson Peak, Jennifer's Body, and The Spirit of the Beehive. So if you find those, that's me. Um, and also, if you're in London, um, I'm workshopping my little my little one-woman piece in January, um, probably. <gasps> what? <laughs> um, awesome. I do talk about the movie Titanic and Aragorn, Son of Arathorn. So uh, you can probably catch me at the wow. cockpit. That info will be on my Instagram Cool. We can link it in our show notes too. Yeah. Also, your letterbox name is Zoe Catherine. Thank you. You can find me at Zoe Catherine. Um, and I don't know. Stay thirsty, friends. And I'm at, at Miss Marso, M I S S Marso, on all platforms. Follow me for general horniness on Twitter <laughs> and um, angry product reviews of Kickstarters on Instagram. Um, yeah, those are great. <laughs> the only thing I have to plug, I just recorded, and maybe this is weird sitting next to what I just said, but uh, I'm also an audiobook n- narrator, so I just recorded two extremely cute young adult titles um, for a series called Our Friend Hedgehog. If it's Christmas is coming, if you have any young people who love stories about adorable hedgehogs and the power of friendship, I have some books for you. Amazing. Well, I was thinking about how much I love the power of friendship. In Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I was thinking about how much I love hedgehogs. Yeah, all right. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's hunt some work about it. Roll Calling is produced and recorded by us, Ned Baker and Caroline Sita. Our theme music was created by Patrick Buddy, and our logo was designed by Nick Wanserski. 
You can follow us on Twitter or on Instagram at RollCalling, or you can email us at RollCalling at gmail.com. That's R-O-L-E. We will be back soon with Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Until then... Proud feet! <laughs> <laughs>